Salutations! Welcome to Podmortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter-Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from the Christian Haute Couture Fashion House, discussing the 1964 giallo horror classic, Blood in Black Lace. This film was directed by Mario Bava from a screenplay by Marcello Fondato, with collaboration from Bava and Giuseppe Barilla, and rewrites by Mary Arden. Blood in Black Lace is one of the first giallo films, following Bava's initial forays into the subgenre years prior. With highly stylized violence, an impressively indelible color palette, and a mysterious masked killer, Blood in Black Lace would not only establish conventions for subsequent Italian giallo films, but would also prove influential for what would go on to become the American slasher. This film was recommended to us by friend of the show, Miguel Myers ATX. Aside from being an awesome person and a great friend of the show, Miguel also runs the horror podcast, My Horror Confessional. Currently in its second season with new episodes every Friday, do yourself a favor and check out the show. Thank you so much, Miguel, for your support, as well as this suggestion. So, Blood in Black Lace, what were your first impressions on the film? So, I had never heard of this movie until, you know, you had watched it, and then you kind of were telling us about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Very, very interesting movie. I like the... uh, I guess I don't really want to give away too much, but the, I, I do like certain things of this movie. Okay. I did enjoy it. There I do have some things, you know what I mean, nitpicky things. Um, but overall, it's not a bad movie. You know, it's a, it's a, it is a, if you haven't seen it, I would recommend watching this too. Cause you saying, you know, uh, this is a classic, you can tell, right. you know what I mean? Uh, that it is a bit older, but not in a bad way. Um, I did want to ask, I noticed that the colors aren't as, I guess, vibrant or apparent as they are in Suspiria. Suspiria. Like Suspiria, the colors are like, they're slapping you in the face. Right. You know, there are some here, but there weren't, uh, it wasn't, I guess, as bright or they didn't use it as much as Suspiria did. So... I think that part of it might be an issue with the version of the film you saw. Okay. Because they did a restoration, Arrow Films did, mm-hmm. that Nay actually got me for my birthday last year. Right, I Whoop. remember that. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but the restoration they did, it is so vibrant. Okay. And I think that that's how it was meant to be seen. Okay. But the degradation of film over time right and right right the also the place that you guys watched it as well yeah yeah i think that if you watch the blu-ray you would see that but uh, suspiria kind of is on another level right with the color okay but they are both uh technicolor right like we talked about yeah, yeah. and so there's gonna be more vibrance than you would get in a regular film okay yeah yeah i liked it as well oh, yeah. for the most part <laughs> i feel like it was uh really and i don't know if this is the appropriate word because it is what is it 64 yeah yeah but to me it felt a little campy i think that's fair <laughs> okay which i'm always here for some camp right I did like that there were some characters that i would say unintentionally made me laugh out loud uh <laughs> i lot. do have a yeah. favorite <laughs> that is giving some renfield energy for oh, most of the film. totally <laughs> and he almost um, looks a little yeah, like renfield i was like oh i'm gonna like you already <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah i feel like it I don't know if I was expecting maybe more um, 
because you're very uh i don't want to call you a snob but <gasps> i don't <laughs> don't clutch your pearls oh sorry i thought it would be a little more um it's very snobby to clutch the pearls too <laughs> <laughs> you're only proving That's, my point like, god damn it <laughs> i uh just thought it would be a little more serious okay or right. um and and not that i'm disappointed that it wasn't it just wasn't exactly what i was expecting uh-huh. but i did have a good time watching it um there were <laughs> i mean i'm sure we'll get to it later on because there is a masked killer yes and you know obviously that's what i didn't want to give away <laughs> well i think you said it in the intro no i think i, I said something yes you i did something okay. about a mask killer. <laughs> that's fair um that th- obviously we find out late in the film who it is mm-hmm. and it kind of felt di- okay w- once upon a time folks there was a man named David Cage. And <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> David Cage made a game called Heavy Rain. And <laughs> the reveal for a moment, it made me, it took me back to Heavy Rain for a second. I will not allow this. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about it. This fucking slander. <laughs> Don't flip the table, oh snob. Oh my god! We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it when we get there. Now, but now I'm I clutching did, my pearls. <laughs> I did have a good time watching this, and it was surprisingly campy. Yeah, which I'm always down yeah. for camp. So mm-hmm. it was a pleasant surprise for me. And some of the, I mean, I already knew about the dubbing and everything, but I mean, some of the acting is a little, you know, turned up to eleven, which again is not a con for me. No, right, it's, not at it's, all. Very campy and very fun. And when you had said, John Paul, when we covered Suspiria, how B-movies and I I don't know the politics of if Suspiria is a Giallo, you know, we're not going to get into that. But (laughs) you had said that they were kind of next door neighbors. And I feel that in this. Two wheels on the same car. Yes. (laughs) Um, I feel that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's very fair, and I think that that is something that kind of becomes a characteristic of Giallo films, Mm -hmm. and it kind of gives them their own feel in a way. Right, Mm -hmm. right. But the funny thing is that I honestly didn't even know about this film until after I watched Suspiria. Right. And it was because I kept seeing everywhere, they're like, you know, the Giallo elements in Suspiria, uh, Giallo elements this... Mario Bava influenced that. Right. right. And I'm I, I gotta check this out. Yeah, I well yeah. when I kept hearing Giallo, I'd never heard the fucking word before yeah. even. Yeah. And so I felt like Frank Costanza when he's like, What the hell does that mean? Because <laughs> so he you, keeps saying it. You got yourself some gelato. I did, yeah. But I did, I saw it for the first time a few years ago, and I thought that I was like, Okay, I'm gonna finally take this dive. Right. And for how much horror we watch, it kind of feels like you know, you're not gonna teach an old dog new tricks. Right. But bark bark motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had no idea what this even was. Yeah. And so I think that legitimately this is the perfect introduction to Giallo films. Right. Because to me, I think this is the perfect one. So does it get campier or like what, what is the evolution kind of where does it take us? To my, this is where it starts. Right. Right. To my experience, the Giallo film kind of becomes a little more graphic. Okay. Both in violence and sexuality. Okay. Um, there's a lot of violence in this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it is very subdued compared to what comes later. Okay. Right. But you could almost say the same thing about the slasher film. That's no, true, yeah. too. You know? Yeah. But I... Even though this is kind of towards the beginning of the subgenre, mm-hmm. I think it's the sweet spot. Right. I, I know a lot of people think uh, the bird with the crystal plumage, Dario Argento, who mm-hmm. was a massive 
lover of Mario Bava. Mm-hmm. They actually worked together, and he worked with Bava's son on a oh, few wow. films. Nice. It's like pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. But um, to me, this is where it's at. Mm-hmm. All right. To quote Beck. Uh, <laughs> I just think that it's got everything. It's got the lighting, the cinematography. It's got stylized performances that we've talked mm-hmm. about. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, the violence is inventive for the time. Right. You don't really, and each kill is inventive, different from each other. Right. Right. The element of mystery. That that is a that's a sucker. I'm a yeah, sucker right. for that. It, there's like a whodunit element. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um. I made a very short list of Giallo, uh, <laughs> like Go things on. you can expect. Yeah. <laughs> in Giallo films, you're most likely going to get a masked or mysterious killer, an investigation to solve that, a set piece of deaths or elaborate deaths, dramatic lighting, music performances, stylistic cinematography and camera work, beautiful women, maybe a bit of perversion or corruption involved, mm-hmm. camp. Oh, yeah. And logic to the crimes as to the reason why they're being committed. Right. Which is very interesting to me. So Mm -hmm. is it typically this kind of um, detective trying to get to the bottom of what's going on? Exactly right. Okay. Because... I like that. Yes. The thing about Giallo films, and Bava is actually considered the father of Italian Giallo. Right. But I watched a documentary called All the Colors of Giallo, and I listened to a commentary from Tim Lucas, who is a horror film critic, as well as a writer of a Mario Bava biography. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And so I got a, a lot fan. of... Yes, <laughs> you could say that. I got a lot of information from there, but the history of Giallo films is that the word Giallo means yellow in Italian. And we've talked about this on Talk Mortem, so I hope you're not yeah. bored. <laughs> <laughs> They've already turned it off. Yeah. No. <laughs> but the thing is, is that Giallo was meant as a term to describe thrillers in Italy because of the yellow novels that they were released. I think it was called uh, Giallo Mondadori mm-hmm. was the novel and the publisher. Mm-hmm. But they were a set of pulp novels that were basically detective crime mysteries. Okay. And so that was in the 20s and 30s. But then the films don't come about until the 60s. And they were kind of inspired by a German film movement called Krimis, which was just crime films. Right. And they Mm kind of take some of the elements from there. But all of those were in black and white. Oh, all right. So they say that the first Giallo film was Mario Bava's The Girl Who Knew Too Much, which was also black and white. Uh This is 1963. But I... (laughs) <laughs> I'm not arguing with historians or anything. <laughs> but they're wrong. But they're wrong. I, my thing with, I love the girl who knew too much, but I think that it is very Hitchcockian. Right. And I mean, even the man who knew too much is a Hitchcock yeah, film. Yeah, that's yeah. what so I was thinking. You know, and we've talked about the film Black Sabbath, which was Mario Bava's film that also came out in 63. Mm-hmm. That was an anthology film. All right. With Boris Karloff, by the way. Hey. Right. But the first segment of that is called The Telephone. Uh-huh. And it's his first like real like toe dip into Giallo films. All right. But this film, Blood and Black Lace, was technically the second Giallo film. Uh-huh. But to me, I think that this is <laughs> but it. But it's this number one in your head. Like the other ones were warm ups. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, this is, is the, the main, main event. <laughs> now, before we stalk this film in the night, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's walk the runway. So the film begins with an absolutely dazzling opening title sequence. It really, 
felt like we were watching the opening for a sitcom that takes place <laughs> at a mannequin factory <laughs> with, like, just, <laughs> with just some kooky coworkers. That, a sitcom? <laughs> That's what it felt I, like. I got anime opening vibes. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It reminded me of uh, Cowboy Bebop. I was like, all right. You're like, I'm into it? Yeah. <laughs> But seductive brass cuts into light percussion as the camera pulls up from a sparkling gown worn by a red mannequin. So I love the theme of this. Mm -hmm. It's done by a composer called Carlo Rustichelli. And I think that this is the second time that he worked with Mario Bava. But he had over 250 film credits. Damn. Like you you go to Wikipedia and it says selected filmography. Because they're like, it's too much. (laughs) Yeah. But we get the title, Blood in Black Lace, under the original Italian title, Sedona per l'assassino, which translates to Six Women for the Murderer. I think that both titles are very cool. I think that they changed it in the States because the idea of kind of like the body count horror hadn't really become a thing yet. And so they probably thought that people would just be, okay, there's one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And two women. And so they kind of like, all right. Fair enough. But we're then treated to shots of each of the major characters in their own colorfully lit tableaus, the camera panning through bright flowers, mannequins, and dress forms to meet and introduce them. But the sequence ends as the camera dips back down into the gown, bright lights reflecting from it as the song ends. I love this so much. That's what I'm saying. It, that was an anime opening. Like, <laughs> I, was like, eh, I was like, all right, let's see where this is going. It and just I, felt like if you change the music, it's very... If you, if you three mute it, it well, not, not, not specifically, Ryan. but I mean, you put like a little poppy whatever to it and it like looks like we're just introducing... knows your name? Uh-huh. Exactly, yeah. I was, for some reason, I was, this is the dumbest thing. I was thinking the Seinfeld theme, even though they don't have that <laughs> yeah, kind of opening at all. <laughs> What's the deal with mannequins? <laughs> but I, the second I saw this, I was like, oh shit, I think I'm going to love this right off the bat. I think it sets the tone artistically. Yeah, for sure. For what you're about to see. And I did learn on commentary, they said, because unfortunately guys didn't get to see the colors pop like I did on the Blu-ray, mm-hmm. but they were told that Technicolor would not work for a horror film. They said that's wow. for comedies and musicals. Uh, and Mario Bava's like, fucking watch this shit. Yeah, <laughs> what the fuck? But we got to a bright red sign for the Christian Haute Couture fashion house swinging in the winds of a storm. A chain on the sign snaps and it jostles loudly as the camera presses in on a fountain in the center of the plaza. Rain whips through the streets as Nicole, played by Ariana Gorini, steps out of the bright lights of the fashion house and into the night. Waiting, silhouetted by a tree, is Frank Scalo, played by Dante DiPaolo. Now, Dante DiPaolo was in The Girl Who Knew Too Much, mm. Bob's previous film. Mm-hmm. But an interesting fact about him is that he dated very early on and then would later go on to marry in the 90s, Rosemary Clooney, and he would become George Clooney's uncle. What? <laughs> <laughs> but he waves her over and she rushes through the rain and past the squeaking sign to meet him. She asks what he's doing here and why he phoned her, worried that someone named Isabella might see them. Frank frantically asks if she brought some, and even in the rain, he looks a little clammy, which is saying something. Uh, He does not look well. (laughs) No. Um, I was like, okay, so immediately he's a drug addict. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, where's Danny Glover when he's... (laughs) I just need a sound bite. (laughs) Yeah, just... (laughs) I don't know why... 
I was very surprised to see that in a film in the early 60s that they were exploring that. Yeah. There were a couple things that I was a little surprised, but I had to remind myself that this isn't American. Right. So, and I'm not super well versed in Italian films from the 60s. Uh So maybe it's not that shocking, but there were a couple things that they said that I was like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, they're not stuffy Americans. It's funny. (laughs) I think that other countries in their films had more of, I guess, I don't want to say an open mind, Uh but I feel like the American like rating system, even back then was very like, oh no, you're not saying that. Yeah. And there's even stuff I'll talk about later that was cut from this film to be released in America. Hmm. But did we see that or no? Yes. Okay. We did. But Frank says that he can't stand it anymore. But Nicole assures him that when she's done here, they'll get some. And she asks about Isabella. Frank says that they got into a fight and she took what he had. Nicole assures him that they'll get more later and kisses him sweetly on the lips, asking him to please hold out a little while longer. He tells her goodbye after he reluctantly agrees to. So I was like, okay, so we got a relationship fucking, yeah. you know, uh, maybe a love triangle. I right, mean, this right. was like right right out the gate yeah, yeah. drama. Dude, and the the funny thing to me is that it starts with a bang with the fucking sign whipping off the yeah, bat. I yeah. liked that. Yes. Yeah. That shot alone, I was like, oh, this is neat. Mm-hmm. But to begin with this, you've already set up so many things, the addiction, the love triangle right, thing. Right, right. But, of course, obviously, we have to talk about the dubbing. Um <laughs> It's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them, it matches really, really well. Yes. When he started talking, I was like, all right. I did read that some some of the actors were giving their lines phonetically. Yes. And I think that you can kind of tell those. Uh But sometimes it matches up really, really well. I was surprised. I was surprised too. And here's the thing is that I first watched this film with the Italian dub. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I realized that it didn't match up with the mouths at all. Mm -hmm. And then I learned that they did record the lines in english oh all right and so i was like huh and i read about it and they said it was because it would be more marketable Mm. (laughs) so i was like okay and then they got people to dub the lines and everything right they mary arden one of the actresses in this film Mm. rewrote all of the dialogue oh shit because it was written by italian writers right and they didn't get the nuances of uh english speaking but um I might be sacrilegious, but I prefer the English dub. Mm-hmm. Right. I think just because my brain and the matching up with the <laughs> mouths, like I was like, like yeah. I feel I I'm the same way. That's why I prefer subtitles over dubbing. Yeah. For like live action stuff, honestly, for everything. But um, that's why I prefer. Yeah. So it's like just let me read it because yeah. I'm distracted <laughs> looking at their mouths. Exactly. The dub that we heard, because they did a dub before this that mm. was lost. Right. And it was uh, with a lot of the American actors in the film. They did their own dubbing. Oh, all right. But unfortunately, that got lost. Of course. It's yeah. in the cave with fucking yeah. Event Horizon. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Jesus Christ. They said that like the majority, if not all, of the main male cast voices were done by one voice actor. <laughs> <laughs> I was very surprised because he is versatile. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't yeah. have guessed that. They Still feel different. Yeah, I know. It's a lot. <laughs> fuck out of here. <laughs> but it was done by this guy called Paul Freeze, and he has a ridiculous filmography, and he did everything from voices in Some Like It Hot to being the original Pillsbury Doughboy. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I was intrigued by Some Like It Hot, but right. I was not expecting yeah. <laughs> That's not what I was expecting. I tried to give you a little razzle-dazzle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we then see Marco, played by Massimo Righi, setting up and ascending a ladder to fix the broken sign. 
Ren- Renfield. Yeah, he's, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna be the Renfield of the proceedings. <laughs> but after he reattaches the chain, he walks away, and Nicole, seeing that the coast is clear, hightails it back to the fashion house. She also passes a very beautiful car that I yeah. don't know what it is, but I want it. <laughs> but outside the gates, Isabella, played by Francesca Ungaro, arrives at the fashion house in a taxi. She almost forgets her scarf, but the driver calls out to her, handing it off. She makes her way through large structures, really gorgeous architecture. It is. I just, yeah. I'm like, why were you dropped off so far? That's a good yeah. question. I was very frustrated like, because yeah, I'm like, just... something bad is oh, immediately yeah. going to fucking happen to you. <laughs> but I was laughing because it, the gate said the fashion house. Yeah. It's like, yeah. But you have to cross a forest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do they own the forest as yeah. well? Or? But she walks down a set of stairs and she shields herself from the cold. But in a fountain, we see the reflection of a figure watching her, the music accompanying their arrival, which is so dramatic, but I love it. Yeah. Yeah. But Isabella continues on, walking through the night, briefly lit from behind as she makes her way. Suddenly, the streetlights go out and she presses on through the trees in the dark. The camera then whips around a figure watching her, revealing a person in a black trench coat and hat, their face covered by a thin white mask. So this is Rorschach, yeah, right? Exactly. I was yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> where are your splotches? Yeah. Because yeah. I was uh, very surprised to literally see a person cosplaying as Rorschach yeah. in, in oh, 1964. Yeah. <laughs> they were out of their so time. He's clearly seen Watchmen. <laughs> I to me that only demonstrates how far-reaching the influence is. Right, For right. sure. Because you're like, how the fuck? It's undeniable. Oh, yeah. it's cl- down to the hat. No, yes. Yeah. You're like, oh my god. I also thought of another white masked killer that stalks people in the night. Good point. On Halloween William night. Shatner. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to point out, obviously, horror existed already. Mysteries existed. Crime films existed. But I think that Giallo brings them together in such an interesting way. Yeah. That it creates this thing. They said that uh, Giallo films, especially Blood and Black Lace, influenced everyone including fucking martin scorsese quentin tarantino damn quentin tarantino actually tried to release this film on his own label but he couldn't get the right restored film i believe uh-huh damn he, he was very pissed off about it oh wow i believe but it. he was yeah <laughs> <laughs> but he was pissed off in kind of a funny way because he's yeah. tarantino <laughs> i'm like man yeah. i'm just trying to release a film man <laughs> something like that <laughs> something like that <laughs> that was a direct one <laughs> But the music grows tense as the trees whip around Isabella and she picks up her pace. But she stops in her tracks for a moment when the movement of the trees doesn't seem to be caused by something, but rather someone. She breaks into a jog, but out from behind a tree jumps the masked figure. They grab Isabella, struggling with her for a moment before bashing her face into the tree and strangling her with the very scarf she was wearing. So it's the driver's fault. Yeah. yeah. He's like, don't forget this. He's the one that jumped out. this later. <laughs> I, it, this was very quick. Yes. I mean, it starts kind of, it, we're at a running start from the whole, this dude's fiending and trying yeah, to get yeah. a shit. And uh-huh. then immediately somebody's dead. It's like, right, okay. Right. I was like, it happens abruptly. Yeah. And it yes. was like way more violent than I expected. Oh no! Yeah, like for what is it, sixty-four? Yeah, said? yeah. You you think about like I mean even American films. You think about Psycho. Yeah, yeah. Which was shocking in its own way, but didn't really show that much. Right. But yeah. her face is bloodied and yeah. fucking. It's she is strangled. Yeah, yeah. Like you watched it. 
I feel like we are also automatically because they mentioned Isabella. Yes. Mm-hmm. So automatically, what's his name? Frank. Yep. We're yeah. like, okay, so we know who did it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's another great thing that they do in this film is they create so many red herrings. Yeah. It's like a fish tank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but inside the fashion house, Contessa Christina Como, played by Ava Bartok, shuts off the lights for the evening and she hears squeaking noises coming from behind a curtain. Emerging from behind it is Marco, who appears to be adjusting his collar. <laughs> if suspicious were yeah. a person, oh, man. it would be this man. And he I carries... was like, nope, it wasn't Frank. It was yeah. <laughs> I've changed my vote. He carries that energy throughout the whole film. Yes. The entire yeah. film. It's so it great. only ramps up, if anything. Like, yes. If nervous or suspicious were a human being, yes. it's this guy. Personified. Yes. <laughs> But he tells her that the sign must have snapped off again and asks if she wants him to fix it. She tells him that he can do it tomorrow before putting on her glasses and heading into the other room. Marco looks even more uneasy, but then he walks into a hallway. Then he looks around very nervously before heading into a room (laughs) and behind a partition where he pops a couple of pills, pours himself a drink and gulps it down. Murdering's thirsty work. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, damn, they didn't tell me fucking... Don't murder while you're dehydrated. (laughs) One thing I will say, though, is like I said about the red herrings, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and even more so later, but I'm going to say this film influenced Scream. Yeah. When you said Uh, red herring, that's exactly what I thought. Oh, yeah. No, yes. (laughs) Even more. You were just going back to normal? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got the red herring thing, but you're right. More later, there definitely is. And I do want to say before uh, we continue that with the English dubbing, they also changed like all the names of the characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to hear us refer to like Christina Como instead of Christiana Cuomo and Max Moreland instead of Massimo Morlaki and stuff uh-huh. like that. It's just because they changed it. I don't know why they changed it. Right. I don't know if it was to Americanize it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. The names aren't hard to say. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Dude. Yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> like, Sadly. Stupid reasons for people everything. People don't, yeah, they don't take the effort. Make the effort. <laughs> yeah, we know what you mean. I'm still in Tarantino <laughs> time. <laughs> I don't know how to talk, okay? <laughs> but Christina heads into an office where behind a desk sits Max Moreland, played by Cameron Mitchell. Now, Cameron Mitchell was kind of doing very well for himself in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And I read that he actually got divorced and then he moved to Europe to make pictures like these. Right. And he called them his alimony pictures. Oh, damn. (laughs) Which is kind of upsetting. So is it like... um and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, pretty much. All right. With, Tarantino's uh, back. Yeah, goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> so Mario Bava watched that movie. Yes. Yeah. And then it comes a flat circle. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. But very interestingly, I learned that he was in the first production of Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman in 1949. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. And through working with Marilyn Monroe in 1953 and having already worked with Arthur Miller, he's the one that introduced them and they eventually got married. <gasps> That's so cool. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. They uh, talked about how, I guess, he, since he had such a prolific career, he worked with all these like big name directors, mm-hmm. John Ford, he met Fellini and all this shit. But he said that Bava was the best director he ever worked with. Aww. Oh, nice. When people say stuff like, that's the most fun I've ever had yeah. on a set, you You're think like, everybody mm-hmm. else is like, well, fuck you then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell yeah. yeah. I'd be pissed. I... 
even my favorite director yeah. wow okay <laughs> well even compliments people give me if they word it wrong i take it bad that's <laughs> true you do you can't even like if somebody says like man like if i make dinner <laughs> all right <laughs> and someone's like this is the best dinner you've made in a while i'm like so all those other dinners were shit <laughs> great no it means you've really outshined yourself with this meal how long have <laughs> i been fucking up dinner <laughs> But Christina tells Moreland that Isabella hasn't shown up yet. And this is the third time this has happened. See, this is why I am notoriously early for work. Right. For every shift, I'm very early. So if even it's time for me to be there and I'm not there, people are going to be like, yeah. maybe she got murdered in the woods by yeah. Rorschach. I mean, if something, were to happen, <laughs> if something were to happen to me on my way to work, my absence would be noticed very early. Right. That's so, the only reason I'm early every yeah. day. <laughs> like, I'm not here to work or anything. Yeah. I just need you to know. You guys see me, right? I have a schedule. <laughs> but Moreland suggests a fine for Isabella. But Christina says that the next time this happens, she's getting fired. She bails out as Moreland drinks his tea with a slight smirk. I was like, there's a little red herring, too. Yeah, because yeah, he's like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I so it's not going to happen <laughs> But Christina heads into a massive, brightly lit room, saying goodbye to a few employees who are leaving for the evening. So this film, I was very surprised to learn, was made for $100,000 or less. Oh, wow. Damn. It's very hard to believe with what you see, because the set design done by Arrigo Bresci and the costume design done by Tina Grani is like next level shit. But you see that they're actually using a lot of real locations. Yeah. Which cuts down on that. Right. Which, by the way, the interiors of this building are the Palazzo Brancaccio, which you can rent and actually, like, maybe get married oh, in or something. Shit. Oh, no. Nice. Not that I'm planning anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. But Christina steps into a booth surrounded by pink curtains, finding Nicole standing there. Sat in a chair in the booth is also Peggy Payton, played by Mary Arden. Christina picks up a black dress that's just kind of crumpled in the corner of the booth, and she tells Nicole that she wishes she took better care of the things she wore, reminding her that the show is tomorrow. Nicole apologizes, and Christina agrees that she is sorry, especially when it's time to leave, as she has no mind for anything else. I mean, same. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, have you ever worked before, man? Yeah. <laughs> no, we're ready to go the fuck home. Every day is a countdown. Yeah. Yes. Like, come on. But after Christina storms off with the dress, Nicole spouts off to Peggy asking, what does she expect? I'm not in mourning like her. That was so fucking yeah. mean. I was like <laughs> surprised. Damn. Yeah. Some of us got lives to live, yeah. bitch. I was like, what? But with sympathy, Peggy says that Christina hasn't been the same since her husband died. Now, Nicole knew that and she still exactly. said it. Yeah. I, I will admit it's not very organic right. to put it that way for them to be like, on front street yeah uh, definitely especially when it's explicitly stated in a little while very soon yeah so i it's actually like we, twice we yeah. don't need it would prefer that they did it just that time <laughs> yeah it would have made more sense but i do also think that it kind of sets up nicole because there is something that nicole does later that you're like all right this yeah, is kind of yeah. your shit <laughs> you're an <laughs> <I guess>. yeah <laughs> But Christina goes to a nearby armoire to hang up the black dress, but when she opens it, she finds the strangled, bloody corpse of Isabella. She also finds the soup Nazis recipes. But <laughs> <laughs> the camera zooms out dramatically as Christina recoils in shock and shouts, Isabella! 
I was like, just trauma on top of trauma. Yes. She's already uh-huh. fucking grieving. Mm-hmm. Like, really? You you needed to find this in here? Yeah. Of all people. Right. Who put you in there? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me right now. But we get a very tight shot of Isabella in the armoire as well. I will admit that we can see her pulse in her neck. It doesn't matter. Get past yeah. it. <laughs> Just get past it. I will say that the shot of her where they do that zoom out from her being shocked. Mm-hmm. I love camera work like that. Uh-huh. I don't think people do it enough. They do it. I mean, they do zooms and stuff now, but they're just not as cool. I don't know how, <laughs> how else to put it. I feel like most people want everything. I know that this is its own style, uh-huh. but it is very specific to what we're watching yeah so that's, that's not gonna fit in everything yeah. no i well you're like but put it but in do everything. it yeah <laughs> <laughs> have you tried it though <laughs> i mean well you look at uh Django Unchained when we meet Calvin Turn Candy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God fucking damn it. bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> But Tarantino probably just stole it for Oh, this. he did. He absolutely did. <laughs> so you made it fit. Thank you, Quentin. <laughs> but in the light of day, Isabella's body is loaded onto an ambulance and driven away with the siren blaring. The siren sounded like somebody was doing it with their mouth. Yeah. No <laughs> I was shit. like, was the siren I'm... dubbed too? <laughs> Look, one thing. I wasn't that... going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> just a guy with his yeah, just... it's <laughs> Fucking Michael Winslow. <laughs> But one thing I did learn is that sirens sound different in every country. Yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. So maybe there in Italy, it's a guy with a yeah, microphone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we pan over to Moreland, who offers a cigarette to Inspector Sylvester, played by Thomas Reiner. Now, I thought this was very interesting because I had said earlier about Giallo's being inspired by the German Kermis films. But Thomas Reiner is a German actor. And so it feels like they're kind of, right. you okay. know, doing kind of a little homage. Yeah, in a way. yeah. I don't know that he ever appeared in any, but it's interesting to pick a German actor to play your detective. True. He's also got Mads Mikkelsen energy Fair. throughout the entire film. Fair point. So if this is ever remade, yeah. you're, like, <laughs> give Mads you're making notes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if Tarantino ever gets to say this. But Sylvester declines the cigarette and begins his inquiry. He learns that the lights were only out for about 10 minutes last night when the murder must have been committed. Moreland also tells him that Isabella was a lively girl, and though she lacked discipline, there was nothing seriously wrong with her. It's like, <laughs> Just right. moderately wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I hope people describe me like that. You're <laughs> just a nothing. little fucked yeah. up. Moderately uh, wrong. My thing, though, is that he is so super casual for one of these women that works there, right? Yeah. Being brutally murdered and then hidden in the building. Yeah. He's just like, I mean, she was cool. Yeah. <laughs> was like, Nothing crazy what about the hell, her. dude? He says that she worked for him for two years. I'm like, you think that you would have more? Exactly. Yeah, no shit. I mean, at least Christina screamed a little. That was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he admits that he really can't be much help and suggests that Sylvester interview the two girls that she lived with. Back inside the fashion house, Christina walks through a room of exhausted, despondent staff and into the large room where she spoke with Nicole the night before. People are gathered around a table where Peggy sits sobbing. Moreland then walks in with Sylvester and introduces him to Christina. Sylvester reminds her that they've actually met before, and Christina remembers that it was after her husband's death. What? Yeah, I didn't. I never knew Your such. Your husband yeah. died. <laughs> Sylvester says that he's he's like, oh yeah, I remember. It was a car accident. Yeah, yeah. I was like, like great, don't do great that. Work, yeah, it's like, good Christ. lord, taking her right back. Yes. <laughs> Holy shit. 
But Sylvester says that she must know a lot about all the girls here. But Christina reminds him that she doesn't run a boarding school. When the girls are finished here, they're free to leave and do whatever they please. But she excuses herself to the studio and Sylvester begins to survey the area, walking around a little. As Marco starts to walk away, Sylvester stops him, confirming his story that he was outside at the time fixing the metal sign at Christina's request. He's already sweating. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that he tried to make a break for it. He's like, well, I'm not obviously. I mean, obviously, you don't need to talk to me. Yeah, you were talking gonna... to Mr. Moreland, right? <laughs> but bursting into the room is Marquis Richard Morel, played by Franco Russell, and he's flanked by two policemen. He shouts at Moreland, furious that he was snagged by the police as soon as he made it onto the property, and Sylvester immediately heads over to chat with him. He, like, angrily introduces himself with all three of his names. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm from Castle Franco. It's, it's very, like, we get it. Yeah. <laughs> You're very rich. It's very, do you know who my father is? Yeah. Yes. Vibes. I hate it. Yes. Sylvester's like, all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but then Greta, played by Leah Kruger, says that Morel is here to see her. He's her fiance. Caesar Lazar, played by <laughs> played by Luciano Pagozzi, starts laughing, and Sylvester asks him what's so funny. Greta says that it's because she lives with Morel. It's like, but still, why is he laughing? Yeah. He's like, yeah, fiance. Yeah. It's like, um, someone was murdered. Yes. Right. Why and are you he's, giggling? He's fucking tickled. <laughs> but Sylvester asks if they know Isabella, and Morel says that Greta introduced him to her, but he only knew her slightly. The way that he answered, everyone is just so fucking weird. Yeah. Yes. You can't yeah. just say, yeah, I met her once. You have to be like, yeah, you introduced me, didn't you? <laughs> Only slightly. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? Well, you murdered yeah, exactly. yeah. Everybody is giving <laughs> I killed her energy. And I think that's the thing is that also, why did he have to bring Greta into it? I know. It's no. like, she's the one who introduced yeah. me. If I'm going down, she is. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of smoking, too. In this yes. I was like, yeah, there Jesus is. There Christ. is sign of the times man yeah. it's kind of crazy to see you don't it makes me laugh now because like if you even watch a movie on netflix it'll be rated pg and you'll look up and yes, it'll say for smoking, smoking. Yeah. yeah like is that that i don't know oh, that was a dumb fucking is smoking that damaging <laughs> come on guys yes yeah a little <laughs> bit that bad yes, for you? podmore and psa <laughs> don't smoke don't smoke well depends on what you smoke <laughs> cigarettes <laughs> that's bad <laughs> But Sylvester finally draws his attention to Peggy, who is still openly sobbing. She's cradled by Tildy, played by Claudia Dantes, who says that Peggy and Isabella were very close friends. Sylvester kind of badgers Peggy a little, pleading with her to tell him who Isabella went out with. Caesar tells him to leave her alone and says that everyone knows Isabella's lover was Frank Scalo, the antique dealer. Really, I dude? guess. Yeah. yeah. God damn. It, first and last. Yeah. <laughs> and his job. Yeah. <laughs> he lives on. It's yeah. like God. And it's social. <laughs> but at the antique shop, police are in the middle of investigating when Zankine, played by Giuliano Raffelli, chats with Sylvester. He tells him that the police have confirmed drug use, seemingly handing him what looks like a bag of cocaine. <laughs> the way he says it is just yeah. like no it's drugs yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, i right. better can smell you, it to make sure yeah. <laughs> can you be more specific yeah. <laughs> but sylvester heads back over to frank asking him about his relationship with isabella he says that they were just friends but sylvester insists that they were lovers frank admits that he doesn't believe in exclusive relationships as sylvester weighs the drugs in his hand 
Frank's like, one thing you need to know about me is I'd be fucked. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I'm not shy about it. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> if something happened, yeah, we probably did. Well, In fact, <laughs> what are you doing later? <laughs> <laughs> but Frank nervously notices the drugs in Sylvester's hand, and Sylvester asks if he's seen it before. Frank gives the worst possible answer. <laughs> no, I don't know. What is it? Yeah. Very shifty, but his eyes are like, my nose clams. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know he knows. He's got yeah. my drug. Yeah. <laughs> but to a dramatic music cue, Sylvester tells him, cocaine. I was like, this is very good. Yeah. <laughs> but it, he says that it was found in Isabella's house. This is what Frank was saying. She took what I had. Yeah. yeah. His very small bag of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> But Frank says that he knew nothing about it, but Sylvester asks that he remain at his disposal and leaves. Frank is left there smoking his cigarette. The prime suspect, clearly. Obviously. Oh, yeah. It switched back from... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm st- I am still got my eye on Marco. Very yeah. fair. <laughs> <laughs> it made me laugh because he was like, um, you know, when he said that he had found it with Isabella's stuff, he, he's like... Isabella. He's like, and who is Isabella? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Look, I have been with a lot of women. <laughs> Just deny everything. That's it. I I don't know who that is. Yeah, and you're saying she's a human person? I'm sorry. I've never <laughs> nothing's nothing's this coming is back. News to me. I've, but back at the fashion house, the show is underway as Christina gets Nicole's dress ready for her to walk the runway. Was anybody else shook that they were still doing the show? Well, yeah. Because I was. They heard that song by Queen. The show <laughs> must go on. I mean, if they, dude, I'm sorry if I've been planning this for I don't know how long. Even how many models if, do we have here? That's one model. But does we're down one model? That, yeah, but <laughs> isn't that in poor taste? Well, yeah, <laughs> but that isn't. That's not what we're talking Plus about. Plus, you found her in here. <laughs> oh yeah, that's like true. Twelve hours ago. Yeah, it's haunted. So I mean, you know, put the ghost in a dress. Yeah. Do what you got to do. See what happens. But Christina heads over to Caesar, who holds the black dress that Isabella was meant to wear. Christina snags it and asks Peggy if she would like to wear it. But Peggy just completely breaks down and rushes off, which annoys Christina. Christina's like, oh, my God, get yeah. the fuck over it. She's like, like, it's been 12 hours. You're going to ruin your makeup. Yeah. I was like, yeah. what about her life? Her best friend's <laughs> dead. Yep, there's it's a show. So, yeah, yeah show well, like, go on. Nobody has any feelings. It's no. just weird. Yeah. I think that that plays into it so well because it only makes everyone look more suspicious. Absolutely. Right, right. But Christina then asks Greta, who refuses to wear the dress, saying that it's probably bad luck. But Nicole, who is already outfitted, says that she'll wear it, with Greta remarking that she's a cynic who doesn't believe in anything. Nicole does not give a fuck. Not at all. Now, let's uh, calm down on cynics who don't believe in anything. (laughs) Feeling a little attacked. You would wear the dress. Well, I mean, probably. I'd be like, Isabella's going to haunt my ass for taking her spot. Isabella would want me to wear the dress. (laughs) (laughs) But Marco rushes Greta off, but then stands there alone. He fiddles with his collar again before walking off suspiciously. So I have to call out the camera movement in this scene because mm-hmm. the choreography of this shot, there's so much going on. Yeah. They talked about it on commentary with all the extras, all the people where it's kind of following from situation to situation. Right. Peggy rushing off to cry, all that stuff. The thing that shocked me, and they confirmed this on the commentary, is that because the production budget was so low, they didn't have a dolly for this film at all. And so what Bava did was he placed it in a child's wagon. Yeah. Uh, 
and just rolled it. <laughs> it worked. It yeah, works very it well. <laughs> they said that the camera operator was Ubaldo Terzano, and he, interestingly, Bava worked for his father as a camera operator because Bava started as a cinematographer. Oh, that's so cool. And so there's All a right. lot of like, I don't know if it's just I the Italian culture, yeah, the yeah. family element, because you got his son working with Argento. You got, it's just. That's really cool. It makes my heart smile. Yeah. But in the hall, he takes another pill, which appears to be fast acting because it chills him out immediately. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just melt on your tongue or like. <laughs> But he returns to the large room where Nicole is modeling the dress. Looks pretty good. It does. The, all of the dresses are oh, yeah. beautiful. It's like uh, the Betty Draper show. Yeah, like, yeah. They, they're all gorgeous, but that dress is haunted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like all jokes aside. <laughs> to be serious for it's a moment. It's got a death curse. <laughs> no, I'm crazy, crazy Ralph. <laughs> You know what? what? It honestly tracks. I'm honestly, not yeah. <laughs> I think anybody it. I've ever known <laughs> could be Crazy Ralph. I think it's, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> crazy Renee. <laughs> but as Marco inspects the dress, he notices that it's missing a brooch. Christina says that the brooch was Isabella's and remembers that she kept it in one of the boxes on the table, so they all start looking for it. Now you're wearing her personal shit. Yeah. Y'all are oh. just really... It's what she would want. <laughs> the brooch yeah. has got a death card. <laughs> <laughs> but Nicole is the one who finds it, but also inside the box is Isabella's diary. She calls out to everyone what she found, and we get shots of Caesar, Christina, Peggy, Marco, and Tildy looking incredibly stressed. That was a lot. She, <laughs> she found the diary and started making the ambulance sound. <laughs> Shut up. Well, I I would probably say something yeah. nope but the way that everyone looked at me i would immediately regret yeah. that i said anything i would shut the fuck up yeah. i would oh, read no, it yeah. from yeah. cover to cover and then i would react accordingly i would probably be haunted for reading, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for reading your diary but i'm you know i want to get to the bottom of this i'm reading it yeah i'm but not, not saying a loud. fucking word either no not out loud yeah, but <laughs> you're reading it for the tea simply both <laughs> 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 the tea is just a side effect of me solving her murder i think the solving <laughs> is the side effect <laughs> but nicole reads from it he's a man that awakens such deep feelings in me that afterwards i feel limp empty caesar's like let me see and he snatches <laughs> I'm it yeah <laughs> i'm like i look i understand we're all very horny here <laughs> that was a very sexy passage that she just read <laughs> Marco says that he doesn't think that they should be reading this at all, and Christina takes it from Caesar. But Marco's like, "Yeah, guys, we probably shouldn't be reading this." Yeah, let's see. <laughs> it's still he says it. Suspicious. It's yeah. It's not at all said like a matter of preserving Isabella's right, privacy. Right. No, it's like there might be some shit about me <laughs> <Yeah>. in there. <laughs> but Christina says that it should be taken to the police, and Nicole says that since she found it, she'd like to take it to the police tomorrow. Christina closes the diary and hands it over to her, saying, as you wish. I will turn it over after I stay up all night <laughs> reading it. Yeah, of course. Well, I think that that's assumed. Right. For sure. And now you just put a target on yourself. Exactly. Which the as you wish feels loaded. 
absolutely when she gives it back everybody's looking at her like yeah, yeah. what are you gonna do with that i mean it, i would be scared honestly if she said that to me I'd be like actually you can take it yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> I, would, I don't even oh I well you st- just need to know God yeah. still take it back. <laughs> too nosy for your own damn good <laughs> it's really gonna be my downfall yeah. <laughs> but nicole stashes it in her purse but when peggy gives her almost too eager of a look yes Nicole takes her purse out of the booth and sets it on the table in the common room before stepping out to walk the runway. The shot lingers on Nicole's purse as all of the suspicious eyes of the main cast of characters spy its spot on the table. But nobody goes for it, and Nicole returns to find her things just as she left them. The fact that she took it away just to leave it again? Yeah. I was like, they all watched you. Yeah. I don't know. I think what I got from that was that if it was in the booth the way that it was, Peggy could have snatched it easily. Yeah. And, now and anybody nobody would know. Can. Yeah. Okay. And if anybody can, nobody can. Right. So the way that the shot lingered, I it I'm fucking everyone's a suspect. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just love it so much. But Nicole steps out of the room, eyed closely by Tildy, in the pill popping hallway. Nicole makes a phone call to Frank asking why he didn't come. He tells her that he isn't feeling well, but she tells him that she's got some. But even more, she tells him about the diary. A shadow enters the frame in the background, eavesdropping on the conversation as Nicole says she was worried there would be something about Frank in there. But she says that everyone saw it and that she plans to give it to the police tomorrow. Frank says that'll give them time to look through it, and that he'll be right over. She's like, I thought you were sick. I, yeah, I laughed no, out loud. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. He's made a full recovery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he goes, he goes, look, I can barely breathe. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, but if you have some, yeah. I'll feel better. <laughs> it made me laugh because he's like, I almost mugged a cop for a yeah, very, for <laughs> very small very amount. small amount of it. <laughs> but the shadow disappears as she turns around and gets off the phone. I love this because, again, that shadow could be anyone. Yeah. For some reason, at that point, I was like, I think it's Marco. That's who I... Everyone. Marco yeah. thinks it's Marco. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck, I probably did this. <laughs> Why would I be so nervous if I was yeah. Yeah. But back in the main room, Christina keeps the show going, checking in on everyone and snapping at Caesar to do his job. That moment I thought was uh, interesting because we just saw Nicole kind of somebody skulking in the background or whatever and then when christina's walking through the area she sees caesar and she's like where have you been yeah Yeah. and he's like i've been right here yeah get to work or whatever (laughs) but i was like where have you been exactly so and again i can't say that she's whoever is eavesdropping on the conversation i can't say that they're the killer right it could just be you (laughs) (laughs) so crazy wrong yeah But just as Nicole returns to her booth, Greta tells her that she has another phone call. Nicole picks it up, but she doesn't seem to recognize the voice on the other end at first. Oddly, the voice says that it's Frank. He says that he feels too bad to come over after all, and that she should come see him instead. Frank is like, it's me, Ernest Minville. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this felt very weird. Yes. Oh, I was yeah. like, we, ju- we just hung up. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Something, something's not right. It's fine if she recognized the voice. Yeah. Yeah. But her not even being like, dude, I don't think you're Frank, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> She's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. That's what I was yeah. like, come on, you just talked to this dude. What the hell? And you know his voice. Yeah. yeah. But even though it means leaving the show, Nicole says that she'll be on her way soon. 
She heads over to Peggy, telling her the deal with Frank, and asks if she can borrow her car. Slightly annoyed that she's leaving in the middle of the show, Peggy still decides to help her. I couldn't... (laughs) I genuinely couldn't believe this, because... Peggy's like, we're in the middle of a show. And Nicole goes, who cares? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> How about everyone who set it up? What are no, you talking shit. about? Like, you know, this is in uh, Isabella's honor, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're already down one model. Yeah. It's now like, you're God fucking. Damn. But Nicole asks her to go get her keys, but to make sure that nobody notices. Peggy heads over to the table where Nicole's purse is, and we see her dig into it, her hands clutching the red binding of Isabella's diary. With Peggy's back to them, Christina and Tildy notice something very fishy going on and ask Peggy what she's doing. Peggy turns around nonchalantly with her own purse in her hand, saying she was just looking for a handkerchief, which she holds in her other hand. It made me laugh because conceivably she's digging in her own bag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Christina's like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) This is my stuff. it's too close to the real purse. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Everybody is very uncomfortable. But Peggy returns to Nicole and unwraps the handkerchief, which was hiding her car keys. She tells Nicole about an alarm that's in the glove compartment and tells her to be careful. Nicole rushes off and we see a staff member roll a cart past her purse on the table, which obstructs our view. When they pass by completely, her purse is gone. So in this moment, I was like, did Nicole leave without taking her purse and then someone snatched her purse? That is not what happens. No. no. I was like, they, they really heightened up the drama yeah, for yeah. nothing. For someone <laughs> for, yeah. for, stepping out. Yeah, <laughs> for what we already knew was happening. Yeah. <laughs> but this upcoming is my absolute favorite sequence in the film. And let's, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole arrives at the antique shop in Peggy's sweet ass car. She pops open the glove compartment to press the button for the alarm, just like she was told, and afterwards, she heads inside with her purse in hand, switching on the lights and calling out to Frank. She locks the door behind her and walks past bookshelves, as well as a full standing suit of armor. I was like, this is some Scooby-Doo shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) What I read is that this entire sequence and scene was filmed in the building that was kind of their props department uh-huh. oh cool and so again using locations yeah. but that might explain why we see so much of this interesting yeah stuff but i mean i believe there are two suits of armor yeah. in this well, building <laughs> i mean using it as a front for an antique shop you could have anything in exactly. there yeah. like that's really smart kind of actually very brilliant but as nicole walks deeper into the building the camera pans back to the suit of armor and then behind a shelf where we see a gloved hand reaching slowly for the light switch so the black gloved killer is like a massive staple. Right. And Giallo Films kind of, I don't want to say started here. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the blueprint. And this is one of the like most indelible images in almost all of them. So that's when people are like, eh, it wasn't that. I was like, it's this one. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> You're all wrong. Yes. All the, I, look, you studied your whole life. I get that. And I discovered Giallo films like maybe four years ago. But <laughs> I but think let me tell I know. You how you're <laughs> <laughs> but Nicole makes her way through the building as lights pulse on and off. And the main theme plays in the background. I love that there are like five variations of this theme song. Yeah. Like it is it's so like, cool. Depending on what you need. Yeah. <laughs> Speak. 
you reminded me of something that I didn't even I forgot to mention at the top is the cool intro you said looked like a sitcom uh-huh. or an anime. Yeah. <laughs> um, they hated it in America. <laughs> really? Yeah. And so they used a different version of the theme song. I think the one that might appear in this scene. Okay. The Come one that on sounds a little... No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> the one that's a little more subdued. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> not that song. <laughs> the main theme from Blood and Black Lace. But they replaced what is shown with just a bunch of like department store mannequins and skulls. And what? It, yeah. And it's not even the mannequins that we saw at the beginning. <laughs> It's like what you would see at like a fucking Macy's or something. Yeah. It's not terrible, but I just love what they did here better. Right, right. But I just thought it was weird that, that American is, audiences were like, no, nah, that yeah. that's not going to work. Or maybe the producers. When when we always hear these stories, it's always American audiences that are like, too shit. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> they too too bouncy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> too high. <Yeah. laughs> I just thought I don't Let get these it. People tell, tell the story that they're trying to. Yeah, do. no shit. I, I I don't get it, but it is what it is. But Nicole walks upstairs as the camera follows her from the floor below. I love this like angled shot. Yeah. But going from room to room, there's still no sight of Frank. After hearing a loud clattering noise, all the lights go out, save for the pulsing lights on the lower floor. The camera follows her as she heads back down to that floor, but as she goes to make a hasty retreat, a large chest falls from above, almost hitting her. See, I'm sorry, Frank. I know uh-huh. you were waiting on the yay delivery. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm gone. Just that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. Like, I'm, out. I'm gonna leave your drugs by the door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But she rushes behind the staircase as we see the masked killer descend the staircase and peer down to the floor below. In darkness and silence now, Nicole looks for a way out, but is stopped dead in her tracks when she sees a stationary figure off in the distance. In an amazing shot, and very practically done, and you can clearly see how it's done, Yeah, the light pulses off and on, and when it goes off for a moment, comes back and the figure disappears. I... Love this so much. (laughs) And I think there's this contrast. It's kind of like when we talked about in Suspiria, where the lights were, I believe, blue when one of the characters died. And we took that to mean that it was darkness. Right, right. Yeah. I think that there are these like purple hues coming in from the lights that are meant to kind of show the darkness of the room. Right, right. And they the way that they pierce along with the green of the pulsing light. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. And those are the Joker's colors, so I assume that also stole. <laughs> I don't know. He also inspired the Joker. <laughs> but Nicole gasps fearfully and runs off to find an exit, knocking items over and even crashing into a shelf and falling down. It's like, be careful with the antiques, please. <laughs> right. You're paying for all yeah. of them. <laughs> Frank's like, I was here the whole time. So. <laughs> but a full suit of armor falls over, almost hitting her. She cries in fear, looking into the darkness as she hears noises all around her. Out of nowhere, what appears to be a javelin loudly strikes a shelf right next to her. She screams and scurries away, but as she puts her back to a piece of furniture, she's promptly grabbed by the masked killer. She pulls away from him, ripping her shirt in the process. Through a shot in the mirror, we see her stumble to put her back against the wall. I love when I'm tricked by mirror shots. I wasn't tricked by this one, but the way that she enters the frame, yeah. it's amazing. And I do have to say, from this point on, her bra is exposed. 
I know. No, scandalous. <laughs> no. But I think it gives a little bit of sexuality to the scene. It does. And they really focus on that later they did. on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is fair. Like I said uh, at the beginning, though, this is very tame compared to what Giallo films really? would become. Yeah. It like, because I'm sure that there is something to be said about what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. But what they do later, it, there's much more to be said. Mm. Oh, all right. But as the lights continue to pulse, she makes a break for it, rushing to the door that she entered originally. Remembering that she locked it, she rushes to find the keys, but doesn't notice a suit of armor swaying behind her. I knew that suit of armor was up to no good. Oh, yeah. We've seen Scooby-Doo. Yes. (laughs) But the camera snap zooms into the masked killer's face. They jump out of the darkness, grabbing Nicole, who screams wildly. They begin to choke her until the screaming stops. I will say, I know that the obviously the screaming is dubbed and everything, but this is probably one of the most uneasy I've felt listening to a person scream. Yeah, no. it was pretty visceral. Yeah, yeah, I was like, holy, are they really going to kill that girl? <laughs> <laughs> but the killer then brandishes a spiked glove, raising it as Nicole stares in horror. The killer then brings it down, embedding it into her face with a sickening thud. I think I heard bone. It sounded pretty rough. I was like, holy shit. And this is like, I mean, when you think of 64, that is very violent. Yeah. Shit, that's still mental now, man. That's crazy. (laughs) It's 2022. (laughs) (laughs) And I do have to also point out, not to say that the garment was cursed, but she did wear it and now she's dead. You know, (laughs) it's got a death curse. (laughs) I've been trying to tell y'all. But Nicole's body is thrown to the floor and the killer immediately goes through her purse. When they don't find what they're looking for, obviously the diary, the killer snatches her car keys and drags her body over to the stairs, throwing a suit of armor on top of her. The cops aren't going to fall for that. (laughs) (laughs) She was crushed. (laughs) How do you think the killer felt that it was like, oh, man, all this for nothing? Looks like the joke's on me. It's just funny. It's like, you know, you try your best and you don't succeed. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I love the commitment to the fit. I know it's for our benefit yes to keep the killer's identity secret yeah. but you came to kill her you didn't need to put a, he's like i got a con right after this yeah and i don't have time to change into the rorschach like <laughs> <laughs> my best friend's dressed as yeah. sally jupiter yes. <laughs> <laughs> i cannot disappoint right. the night owl's gonna be there where's the damn diary yeah <laughs> i was i was laughing because as i was watching it i literally said Rorschach's journal. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he was looking for. I told your sister. She was like, "Damn it!" Yeah, like, everybody has the same. I was like, yeah. Well, when I wrote it down, I was like, "We're all gonna have something oh, to yeah, say about Rorschach." And I will say that with that outfit, it kind of even makes more sense because you're like, "This is a fashion house." Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of makes you think, like, hmm, even you're killing fashionably. <laughs> I mean, we gotta. You gotta bring it. A fair point. And they're setting up like this death scene is just about over but the tableau of her corpse yeah i mean they're kind of and there's one later too it's almost like that's what i'm saying about giallo films man it's like an art form because even the deaths there's like setting up kind of uh i I would say very outsider art (laughs) 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 but the killer then absconds with peggy's car speeding off and whipping around the corner Unfortunately for them, a gas station attendant, played by Enzo Cherusico, sees this happen and jots down the license plate number. 
It was weird to me that he even took notice because it was a super casual way to drive off. <laughs> You've never left. That's not him. how y'all drive. That's yeah. when you're just completely innocent. That's how I leave H-E-B. I, don't... <laughs> I was like, dude, yeah. chill out. That's what oh, I... shit. Dude, yeah. I swear to God. And you see it in true crime all the time. Yeah. People getting for the caught, stupidest shit. pulled over yeah. for yeah. speeding. And you're like, you're Ted Bundy. <laughs> it's like, dude, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> But I again, I have to repeat, this is my favorite sequence in the entire film. I love the use of music when it's necessary and then complete silence and sound design after that. Yeah. Obviously, the lighting, the way that the suspense builds, I think, was very informative for a lot of the more suspenseful slasher films. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought of two films watching this scene. There's one in Argento's Inferno where it is literally the pulsing lights and everything mm-hmm. clearly influenced by this. Right. But the other one that I thought about that we've actually discussed on this show, which was episode 69, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah. Right? I've, I've been thinking of I Know What You Did Last yeah. Summer since kind of his little outfit. Is it the coat? Because it's the <laughs> coat, the hat, like it's very like fisherman over the top. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I completely agree. With... Uh, the unfortunate our, scene. Our queen. Yeah. Our yes. queen, yes. Uh-huh. Long live Helen, Helen Shivers. <laughs> <laughs> but in the next scene, we see Peggy and Tildy arriving home at their apartment in a taxi. Peggy gets out, telling Tildy to have fun, but to not come home too late. I did forget to mention when you introduced Tildy. Uh-huh. Do you know <laughs> the FBI profiler? She's on like oh, Deadly Women yes. and Stuff, Candace DeLong. Yes, exactly. She looks like it just like <laughs> And so in all my notes, I refer to her as, as Candace, Candace DeLong. <laughs> that is so like specifically accurate. <laughs> I will never watch this film the same again. It's like, she's going to solve this, guys. She's going to figure it all out. She's watching very closely. <laughs> But before Peggy is inside, the taxi speeds away and she realizes that Marco is standing in the street. Not Marco. Yeah. (laughs) He says that he wanted to keep her company until Nicole got home and asks if she's afraid to be alone. I'm more afraid now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually less afraid alone. Yeah. (laughs) But Peggy says that she doesn't really care. She just wants to go upstairs and get some sleep. But Marco reminds her that she has to stay up until Nicole brings her car back and simply asks her, please. And so she invites him up. I didn't fully understand why she needed to stay awake until the car came back. Yeah. It seemed, well, I mean, I would like to get my car and car keys back before I go to bed. Yeah, at least no. I'm also not handing it over in the middle of, I mean, I don't know. It just feels like if she was so willing to give up her keys... She wouldn't be super concerned. It was like, maybe this was a regular thing. I don't know. I think to me, I the thing for me, it's not even about that. <laughs> like, what weirds me out is that this was all supposed to be on the down low. Right, right. And Marco's like, didn't Nicole borrow oh, your that's car? True. Oh, yeah. like, how the I fuck do you even, know that? I didn't that's even think right. of that. That's right? You're like, why am I sleeping? Yeah. He's like, no, those <laughs> you don't tell me to fucking stay awake. No, Marco's like, because she was driving it when she came to the, oh, I mean, I mean uh, <laughs> I never saw her at all. <laughs> but he says that he couldn't have gone home with an easy mind knowing that she was alone in the house. But we pan across the interior of her home, all the furniture covered in white sheets. I'm like, I see why he was afraid for her because her couch is haunted. Yeah. <laughs> it's Isabella. Yeah. <laughs> it's for the dress. She's like, you. It wasn't even her, but she's still haunting her. It doesn't matter. 
But we hear ominous music as we see someone in a trench coat kneeling over the fireplace, hard at work on something. They turn around to meet Peggy and Marco as they walk in, but it's just Clarice, a housekeeper played by Harriet White Medine. So the fake out. I thought this right. was very funny. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like uh, uh, uh. well, it's funny because we don't really know at the moment, aside from the desire to get the diary. Yeah. The motivations of the killer. We know that Peggy potentially has the diary. Yeah. But I'm like, why is the killer in her apartment? <laughs> Just waiting. Just yeah. here. And so I was like, okay, good. Okay. <laughs> but uh, something interesting about Harriet White Medine, much like... The actor who plays Marco, she was in Bava's Black Sabbath as well. Oh. All right. Um, interestingly, she was in the segment that you saw on the Babadook that they were watching. Oh, okay. All right. Very cool. Yeah. But a couple of very interesting things about Medine is that when she was younger, she worked as a dental assistant and two of her patients were John F. Kennedy uh- and his <laughs> brother, Robert Bobby F. Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But she was also the first American actress to relocate to Italy after the war to pursue work. So she's like... Oh, shit. A lot of these people have led really interesting yeah, lives. Yeah, sounds like it. But the whole coat thing did remind me of everyone having the slicker from I Know What You Did Last Summer. Or the big-ass winter coat in Urban Legend. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's a thing. <laughs> when she was wearing it at the pool. Yeah. yeah. Stop <laughs> like, dude, you did not wear that here. It's bullshit. Quit it. But Clarice asks about Nicole, but Peggy just tells her that she's at a party and will be home later. Clarice tells her that dinner is warming up on the stove for her, and they say their goodnights. But before she's even completely gone, Marco is just overcome with emotion. <laughs> Why did you let this man in the house? Yeah, I don't know. No <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's like a lopper situation where it's like, well, if I leave him outside. I, I don't know, yeah. man. You know, he'll get got. <laughs> and then that's on me. Uh, oh. Well, (laughs) (laughs) but Marco tells Peggy that she just doesn't understand. He's told her a thousand times, but she doesn't get that he's fallen in love with her. She asks him to calm down and sit next to her, which she does once again, fiddling with his collar. He loosens his tie and goes for a cigarette to calm his nerves, but the pack in his pocket is empty. He kind of dramatically says that he's both ill and unlucky. It's like yeah. <laughs> you smoked all this. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not luck. luck at all. <laughs> but Peggy tells him not to be like that and that she's his friend. Marco goes over to her purse to get one of her cigarettes, but she's like, "No, don't." Yeah. No one. No one has an ounce of chill in no. them. No. She's like, "No, get yeah. me." <laughs> <laughs> but she snags it from him, saying that he'll just untidy everything in her bag. You're going to untidy that that's, thing I stole. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's a hell of a reason. <laughs> yeah, it's not even. <laughs> but she does get him the cigarettes and hands him one, taking one for herself as well. And you can tell, I think that this is because for me, I wasn't even completely sure that Peggy stole the diary until we saw the killer not come up with it. Yeah. yeah. But now we know. And for that's, sure. You know. Yeah. But he lights a cigarette for her. But suddenly her phone rings. It turns out it's Sylvester. He says that he found her car abandoned and asks if it was reported stolen. She tells him that she let Nicole borrow it and asks if something is wrong. But he won't tell her over the phone and says that he'll have to come to her house to tell her in person. Never a good sign. No. But she gets off the phone and she tells Marco what's going on. Strangely, Marco says that he better leave. He doesn't want the police to find him here. 
why i don't know this yeah. was so confusing to me because he's like well i better get out of here then and she's like yeah yeah i'm like yeah, yeah. it's best nobody knows you fucking came <laughs> over here jeez she does agree yeah and he says that it's what's best for him and especially for her i don't yeah. understand uh, this really it's like because if i stay i'm probably gonna kill you yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's like, all that's i'm thinking what it felt like. but the funny thing is that right there in that moment it sets him up like he doesn't he was already trying to leave earlier right when the police were in, interrogating yeah he was and then now that they're on their way he's like oh i'm gonna yeah. see you later <laughs> but what happens in a bit it also puts him in the light as well to possibly being the killer yes yeah. i was if i were right here yeah. yeah but after he leaves peggy immediately rushes over to her purse retrieving the diary and opening it up marco's like i'm gonna go get some cigarettes okay <laughs> <laughs> and then he's gone yeah. <laughs> for the record that was just as poorly dubbed 100 <laughs> percent but she searches feverishly until she finds the entry she was looking for. October 16th, I caught Peggy trying to steal $1,000 from my purse. She cried, saying how much she needed it. She was pregnant and not able to face the scandal. I felt sorry and lent her the money. It means tomorrow I will ask him for $2,000. I love that we're naming names for Peggy, yeah. but you know, your benefactor, we're not, yeah, it's, it's just yeah. him. Um, it is kind of funny because Peggy's like, no, she, this was notable. She wrote about yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a big deal. It's huge. And first of all, uh, why do you have a thousand? That's what I'm yeah. saying. I'm look, I'm not, I'm not at all going to be blaming her for this, but if you have a thousand dollars in your purse yeah. and you're not on your way to make a giant purchase and Peggy yeah. knows about it enough to be like, Oh no, I'm that's steal exactly, exactly what I need. And even funnier, she's like, Oh my God, I just lent Peggy a thousand dollars. I'm going to need $2,000. <laughs> like an extra for mommy gets a taste on top. I just don't understand why she needs that much. But maybe a thousand is just the standard that what she needs gets. to stay. Right. But now I need two because I just gave this bitch one. Yeah, fair. that is fair. Thousand. <laughs> I can't get over that. It's a lot now. Yeah. Like, I think damn. It's 64. God damn. But Peggy tears the paper out and throws it into the fire. Then after hesitating for a moment, she throws the rest of the diary into the fire as well. I was like, no, just burn yeah, what, what incriminates you. you. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, no, I was stealing money from her a yeah. lot. <laughs> it's probably, There's probably more. Peppered all throughout yeah. this diary. I, I think that for me, it kind of upset me because, I mean, if you look at it on their reactions to the journal being found at all. Yeah. There's a lot of incriminating shit in here for probably everyone. Oh yeah. yeah. And so you throwing it into the fire instead of reading it and finding out all this tea. Yeah. At least read the last entry. Yeah. I'm going to meet exactly. blank or I'm, you know what I mean? Oh, Don't, yeah. why, come yeah. on. Yeah. We're still trying to solve a murder. Aren't yeah. we? <laughs> I thought so. She's like, no, I'm just covering my own. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I realized cause you know, when uh, the devices in films, the MacGuffin. Yeah. Where it's like an item that seems to have some kind of importance and then means nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That I didn't know this until researching this film, but that was invented by Alfred Hitchcock. Really? Yeah. And this is straight up a MacGuffin now. Yeah. But the fact that they called Bava the Italian Hitchcock, it kind of seems like a yeah, little. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. But I thought that was really cool. Like when that movie, The Birds, wasn't really about birds at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the birds meant nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Episode uh, 75, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I think that it also incriminates Peggy a little bit because if she's just throwing out that one entry, that's fine. Yeah. But when you're burning the whole thing, it's like why did yeah. you kill her yeah oh good point i mean i saw those tears where they crocodile tears yeah, yeah. why do they call them crocodile crocodiles like fake shit a lot or what when you're wandering out and crocodiles are hungry I, you're making it up <laughs> 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 as They'll we start speak crying uh-huh. or it sounds like crying and you're so like when what's you, wrong when you go to investigate they're like <laughs> it's, it's, yeah it's crock they're fake tears that's how you get eaten don't look that oh. up Just <laughs> take <laughs> your word, word for it <laughs> <laughs> but Peggy hears someone at the door. She goes to open it, but there's no one out there when she does. Out of nowhere, the masked killer leaps into the frame and grabs her by the face, pulling her back into the apartment. The killer's like, it smells like burning diary yeah. in here. <laughs> but this literally, this was enough time for my man Marco to step out yeah. to the hall. Throw on a coat. Put on his cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <come> back. <laughs> And maybe again, he's like, last night a model died in Rome. (laughs) (laughs) But the killer drags her to the living room and she bites their finger. Unfortunately for her efforts, the killer slaps the absolute shit out of her. Yeah, he does. Mm -hmm. They do. Yeah. Kind of tumbles into a bookshelf and it falls on the ground. The killer picks her back up, placing a notepad with two fleur-de-lis pins onto a desk. The killer opens it up and writes, Wo ist das Tagebuch? Which is German for Where is the Diary? So all this time before I knew about the inspiration of the German crime films, Mm -hmm. I was like, why is this in German? Yeah. But I'm like, that has to be some kind of little nod. Right, right. You know? And also it's good because Peggy's like, I don't know any Germans. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Peggy tells the killer that she burned it. So she's thrown to the floor as the killer grabs a fire poker and pokes you know through the fire fire. (laughs) (laughs) with the killer distracted peggy reaches for the phone but is immediately grabbed and smacked into a frenzy knocked out cold police sirens sound outside as sylvester arrives so the killer retrieves the notepad and drags peggy out of the apartment i don't understand why they came to speak with her with with their sirens on yeah well I wondered that myself, too. I was like... No discretion. Like, I thought that that was very strange. Well, protocol in Italy is uh, (laughs) the alligator eats you. (laughs) It has to turn its sirens on. Exactly. So you know that it's sad. (laughs) But also, it was strange to me that the other women were flat out murdered and then just, like, left. Yeah. Yeah. But she was knocked out and carried away. See, and that's what happens next. The killer throws her over their shoulder and heads up to the next floor and the camera pans right where we see Sylvester and Zankin walking up the stairs. So I think that it doesn't matter that the diary is burned. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck did you see in the diary? Yeah. Yeah. Then we'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I do love moments like this in horror films where things are cut so close. Like he was almost caught yeah because you're yeah. you're the jordan peele sweating gift yeah because, you know <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like fuck <laughs> i also learned on commentary that mary arden did her own stunts for this oh wow oh, damn they <laughs> this made me laugh but they hired a stunt person uh-huh. and when they looked at the dailies the stunt person's arms like his arms were so fucking hairy yeah that they're like that's clearly not yeah (laughs) it's clearly not peggy yeah and so she's like well i'll just do it myself and they told her that whenever she fell they were going to throw a mattress underneath her perfect timing no big deal 
they yeah. always missed. Yeah. Of course and, they and did. And so she said she is bruised to hell. Oh, I bet. But she said that she loved working on the film. Well. So. They should have just gotten whoever they used for Goldie Hawn. Because, I yeah. mean, that was fucking that was seamless. Flawless. You can't even tell. Yeah. No. I'm. It was her. Mm-hmm. But noticing that the door is wide open, Sylvester calls out for Peggy. With no answer, the two men make their way inside to investigate. Unbeknownst to them, the killer has dragged Peggy even further upstairs, carrying her into the attic. But we cut to what I assume to be Castle Franco. Yeah. And we see Frank pulling up in his car and parking outside. He heads inside to find Morel and Greta having dinner and apologizes for the interruption, but says that it's urgent. Morel excuses the butler, played by Callisto Callisti, and after he leaves, Frank spills everything. A little while ago, he found Nicole dead in his shop. Someone murdered her. He said before he found her, he was at the fashion house where he says that he saw Morel, but couldn't find Nicole, and so he went right to his shop where he found her there, dead. Morel asks why he came here instead of calling the police, but Frank has clearly listened to enough true crime podcasts. Yes, <laughs> the boyfriend did Exactly, it. every single time. He's like, I'd be the prime suspect. So he says that he needs an alibi and that Morel has to help him. His idea is that they can vouch for each other. They were both at the fashion house the entire time. Right? For sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's totally accurate. Yeah. Because <laughs> we were the only two people there. Nobody yeah, else no would sh- say that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> isn't that weird? He's like, I never <laughs> saw either of them. Yeah. <laughs> but Morel is not about that life at all, saying Frank is the only one that needs an alibi. In fact, he could have actually done it. So he tells Frank to call the police or he will. But Frank comes back with a spicy meatball. If that's the case, then he'll have to tell the police about the thousands of dollars worth of IOUs that Morel wrote to Isabella, never being able to pay her back. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. What? what the fuck, man? Yeah. That's fucking yeah. Yeah. Come on, that's dude. Morel's like, so we were at the fashion house. Yeah. <laughs> what were we wearing? Let's yeah, because they're going to get this straight. They're going to ask. It makes me laugh because Greta's like, what? Yeah. Well, well, you didn't have to do that. Yeah, no. no. We, he really could have pulled him outside or something. Yeah. Like, that was that was rough. Yeah. yeah. Morel doesn't cop to it. He just kind of hangs his head in shame. But realizing that she's hitched herself to the wrong wagon, Greta just rushes off saying, my God. Well, <laughs> what what were you owing her money for? Yeah. Uh, it's a great question. I mean, uh, so are we, is this cocaine yeah (laughs) (laughs) he's like listen the yay was coming in from san pierre (laughs) they're using bikes (laughs) they go go cross country (laughs) (laughs) he's like listen cj i mean (laughs) shit is rough we gotta do what we gotta do it makes me laugh because caesar was laughing at their relationship yeah so it's like clearly she's not in this for the love right he owns a fucking castle (laughs) (laughs) like look around you but learning that he really doesn't yeah see that's what had confused me too because he was into isabella for thousands or whatever Mm -hmm. frank said yeah but when frank comes in and he's all he came in all hot dude is like oh you can go charles i'm like you have butlers you have a castle Uh i i'm very confused as to what the fuck is going on here financially with you? They might have worked out a deal with the butler. <laughs> <laughs> He's paid in, in suits. <laughs> I mean, he was in a car accident and he has to be ah, his butler. That's right. That was a great show that didn't last very long. But I think that it kind of speaks to his idea of the status thing. If I don't have a butler, I'm not marquee fucking 
Richard Morrell. Right. That's absurd. It is. It's kind of gross. So what does he owe Isabella money for? That I don't know. I'm assuming it has to have something to do with drugs because it seems like that's been a big thing. Or maybe he has lost his money and it seems if she's carrying around thousands of dollars yeah. in her purse, <laughs> she's, got she's got it. But I thought she was anti-drug. Well, she's anti-drug for Frank. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Frank doesn't need that shit. No. He can't handle it. Clearly. <laughs> but Frank reminds Morel, facetiously calling him Marquis, that he doesn't have a single dollar to his name. He says that that's a good enough reason to have killed Isabella to procure her diary and prevent people from finding out. Morel pretends to not know about the diary, but Greta, now with zero loyalty, <laughs> she's like, no, that's not true. I told you about Nicole yeah. <laughs> finding the diary. But Frank tells Morel that they'll sink or swim together and urges him to take his advice. It's very funny to me and unfortunate at the same time that in a lot of murder mysteries, the victim seems to have reasons from a lot of people yes. yeah. to want them dead. Yeah. What a life. Like, yeah. I could not yeah. you imagine. I mean, but that bitch was living. She like, was. I, yeah. I, you got to give it to her. I want $1,000. She's yeah. carrying around thousands of dollars. <laughs> she's handing out money. She's getting money. She's got drugs. I mean, yeah. taking drugs away from people. She was living. And she was a fucking model. Yeah. That too. That's a. I'm just yeah. saying. I'm, Isabella like knew how to live. I'm jealous. Yeah. A little bit. Live Maybe fast. I killed her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You were very interested in the diary. <laughs> uh, I'm going to move on. Not trying to incriminate anyone. <laughs> but Frank says that he's going to go back to the shop and call the inspector and tell him that they were all together the entire time. I love that Greta is not even consulted in this. No. It's, she Just by default. He's like all three of yeah. us. We yeah. were together. You're going to vouch too, right? Yes. <laughs> but he bids them good evening and leaves. At an undisclosed location... Peggy sits tied up and blindfolded next to a burning furnace. In a really great shot, the masked killer creeps down a staircase through smoke to join her. The killer takes off her blindfold as she insists that she burned the diary, saying that there was something personal in there that she did not want anyone to know. The killer just lays into her with more slaps, but then unties her and forces her face closer to the furnace. Those were frustration slaps. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> that was so funny. I don't know why there is so much slapping in this movie. Yes, there's a lot. A and there's lot. a couple the later that I was like, Shh, get the fuck yeah, out yeah. of here. Oh, there's, no. yeah. <laughs> there's one that is so unnecessary that yes. it makes me laugh out one, loud. There's a bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> in all fairness. But the killer takes her hand and presses it onto the glowing red furnace, smoke rising as she screams, and her palm is burned. She collapses back into her chair and looks up at the killer. Out of nowhere, though, she rips their mask off, clearly recognizing them. Yeah. And she says, no. Yeah. It's giving um Casey Becker. Yeah. Right? Yes, exactly. I tried to pause this so many times <laughs> and I would get the eyes, uh -huh. but the mask would still be half over the face. So I was like, uh, I asked your sister and she goes, they're just going to show you later. I was like, well, I know <laughs> I got to watch like, the movie. But I want to know yeah. now. <laughs> I want to know now. He was like, did you pause on the face? I was like, no. <laughs> like, well, I don't want to be spoiled. Well, for a split second, you, you can see. see yeah, yeah, you do see a face. I think you can make out, the most you can make out is it's a man. Right. And that's all, yeah. that's all I see. But 
ripping off the killer's mask who is trying to keep the identity a secret obviously a rookie mistake yeah we learned that in hush yeah <laughs> <laughs> they should really listen to pod mortem yeah, yeah. i don't know what's time is a flat circle we be why, giving tips yeah. why have they not listened <laughs> but the killer grabs her forcing her face onto the furnace pressing it in deeply as she screams and she dies so is she being burned because she's saying she burned the book or is he just being a dick? I think he's just using what's at his disposal. Yeah, like, I, it was it. just so cruel. No, yeah. Yeah. It was like torturous. After he slaps the shit out of her for yeah, five yeah, minutes. I don't. Just, and throws her felt, around the apartment. Yeah, it felt very tenderized. Personal. Yeah, oh, yeah. my God. Is he going to eat her now? <laughs> I mean, he did cook her on the first. Oh, uh, that's true. It, it felt very um, Smells personal yeah. <laughs> compared to the other one. Yeah. yeah. And it. I mean, for Peggy, I think the thing with Peggy is the fact that she stole the diary I think that that probably infuriated them more. Yeah. Because if you see it the way the way it was, this person had to kill Nicole. Right. But killed Nicole for no reason. Oh yeah. So that's like an extra. They're like, damn it! I kind of yeah. liked Nicole. Yeah. <laughs> she wore the hell out of that dress, <laughs> out of that death curse she dress. She was brave. <laughs> <laughs> this was actually one of the the scenes that was cut, kind of. Oh. Because it was originally much more graphic. We actually didn't see the version either. It didn't make it to the States. And in this version we saw. But he pulls her face back. Uh-huh. And it's gruesome and very, very burned. Ooh. They said it took four hours for the makeup. Damn. But we see some stuff later. Yeah. Just not this scene. If I got to sit there four hours for makeup, yeah. everybody, I'm like that for the rest of the film and I will be in the background of all the shots. <laughs> You're a ghost haunting the film. Yes. Did you know I was burned? <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Look at me. One thing I will say, though, is if it's between fucking what Peggy just had to go through and taking a, I'll take a claw to the face. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That at least yeah. was over instantaneously. This was like, I don't know if this is supposed to be like the killer ramping up or yeah. maybe like you said, frustrated that, you know, she stole it and then they had to kill somebody yeah. for no reason. I mean, whatever it is, it was really rude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, well, like it was it was <laughs> very next level. Well, I mean, gas prices where they are. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> We're all pretty frustrated. <laughs> but we cut to the antique shop where Sylvester asks Frank how he thinks Nicole ended up here. Frank tells him she had a key because they used to see each other every now and then. Sylvester's like, damn, dude. Yeah, Frank's <laughs> like, I told you when we first met, I be fucking. Yeah. I don't know what you didn't what understand part do you about understand? that. <laughs> but Frank's like, you know, calm down. I'm not, you know, just up in everybody. Yeah. I actually was going to leave Isabella for Nicole. We see her corpse lying on the floor, a suit of armor on top of her, and the murder weapon at her side. The crime scene photographer snaps photos as Sylvester asks if anybody else had a key to the door. Frank says only him naturally, and Sylvester repeats naturally. <laughs> I knew like, they fuck. wouldn't buy it. No. <laughs> <laughs> he asks if he did drugs with Nicole too, and Frank's like, "Whatever do you mean?" He's like, "What's a drug?" Yeah. Well, I don't. <laughs> Firstly, I'm gonna need that explained. <laughs> His default is just I. I have no idea what you're saying. Total yeah. deniability. <laughs> Who's Frank? I'm Frank. I'm fr- you're talking to me. <laughs> But Sylvester's over that, telling Frank that he's definitely got a habit and posits that some of his girlfriends, like Isabella, try to get him to quit while others like Nicole partake in it with him. Frank's like, all right, maybe. He's <laughs> <laughs> really backed up against the yeah, wall. Yeah, that's true. But he says that that still doesn't make him a murderer, which is true. It is. Frank says that he has an alibi and starts to launch into his rehearsed story. Yeah. I put on a white shirt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Too much detail. 
But Sylvester interrupts him, saying that they'll talk about it in his office at the police station. So the two leave as we pan over to Nicole's body one more time. I did not realize that this was taking place in the same room where her corpse was. Yeah, yeah. and they're just talking. Yeah. I <laughs> I feel like there's only one instance of somebody being really upset uh-huh. that someone has been murdered. Everything else is just like, well, okay, so about the drugs. Yeah. Like, I mean, they just get over it so fucking quickly. Well, there's, to me, there's something so weird about the police work in this movie. Yeah. Like, and we see some of it in a second, but it's like, sometimes it seems very good. And other times it's like, what are you doing, uh, dude? Yeah, not at all. <laughs> but in the light of day, Sylvester puts Frank in the back of his car but walks over to Zankin when he sees him interviewing the gas station attendant from the night before. So I love, there's this interesting like delineation between the shit that we see at night with the masked killer mm-hmm. and then the police investigating almost exclusively during the daytime. Yeah. Now I, granted, I did kind of contradict myself because he was just at Peggy's apartment last night, but don't <laughs> worry about that. <laughs> it's just interesting to me, but... The attendant correctly identifies Peggy's car, even matching the license plate numbers. He says he saw a man driving it for sure, but he was dressed in black and he seemed to not have what we call a human face. (laughs) (laughs) This made me laugh out loud. Well, Sylvester asks, he's like, well, could he have been wearing a mask? And the guy's like, maybe. It's like, so it's a 50-50. The the way he's so calmly... Yeah, and the guy he didn't have a face. Uh-huh. I'm like, I would assume mask first. Yes, <laughs> before but he's just like, I, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. I'm like, well, how how was he driving then? <laughs> I mean, he was driving pretty uh, recklessly. Yes. <laughs> yes, he he's was. Like, it, it checks out. <laughs> <laughs> but the gas station attendant says that he was distracted by the horn, which they learn was actually the car alarm, which was shut off by the killer. Feeling that they've wasted enough time, Sylvester says that they should head back to the office to interrogate Frank. I'm like, no, I look, I don't know a lot about forensics at the time, but no fingerprints or anything. Not at all. I guarantee they had fingerprint technology. Something. In 64. Otherwise, people would just be murdering like everyone. They're like, no, they have to say it. Uh, (laughs) We got to admit it. Right. It's got to be in the diary. (laughs) (laughs) I laughed too because they pan over to Frank because yeah. they're leaving to interrogate him or whatever. Uh-huh. And he's fidgeting, nail biting, <laughs> and blinking hard. Yeah. Say, <laughs> like, who are you, I'm Marco? Like, oh my God, dude. <laughs> I just, it's, it makes me laugh because everything, often in Giallo films, things are like exaggerated to a dramatic degree. Yeah. It's almost like a play. Yeah, fairly. Yeah. Because yeah. this is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's cartoonish. Yeah. <laughs> But at the police station, Frank stands in line next to Morel, and a few men down is a very fidgety Marco, <laughs> as well as Morlin and Caesar. Listen, no matter how guilty you look, as long as you stand next to Marco, you're fine. Oh, yeah, you no, look, you're good. You're yeah. like just a regular yeah. dude. Clearly innocent. Yes. But this is when Sylvester invites Clarice into the room and asks her to survey the men. You know, Marco's like, fuck, 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 yeah. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, we can do this behind a glass or you can show me pictures. I got to look these dudes in the face and And point one of them out. He's guilty. (laughs) (laughs) No retaliation or anything. But Sylvester asks if any of these men have ever been seen in Peggy's car. This is when Clarice and Moreland say good morning to each other. And Sylvester then asks if he's ever been in the car. It's like there's like an odd knowing there. 
But Moreland interrupts saying, of course, she's seen me in her car on more than one occasion. What's so strange about that? Don't be so suspicious is yeah. my, <laughs> my one Don't note. Be yeah. suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> but Sylvester says that he never said that it was strange and just urges Clarice to continue down the line. She then says that she's seen Caesar in her car, too. Caesar says that that doesn't prove anything, that the whole thing is ridiculous. The thing is, it doesn't prove anything. Yeah, it really doesn't. The fact that we have driven her car before, that yeah. she clearly does not mind loaning out. No. Yeah. That's not, I'm sorry, that is not enough to convince or convict or anything. Well, they don't have fingerprints. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the only thing. That's all they got. But Caesar asks if she saw anyone else and motions over to Marco. He literally says, look at him, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and in all fairness, Marco, he's kind of, he looks like if a mime had to convey that they were guilty. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> it's <laughs> Renfield energy. Exactly. <laughs> he's like grabbing his throat. He stays adjusting yeah. his collar. Yes. It's so like nervous, but after learning that it's okay to go into details outside just of who she's seen in the car, Clarice tells Sylvester that she saw Marco come into the apartment with Peggy last night. Caesar says that they're now beginning to see the light. Marco, not having the best reaction, <laughs> immediately calls Caesar swine, accusing him of trying to ruin him and lunges for his throat saying, I'll kill you. <laughs> Doesn't what he, the fuck? He also says that he hates women. He yeah. does, yes. <laughs> Look at his face. He that's, hates that's, women. Dude, that kills me. Because after the men are pulled apart, Marco tells Caesar to confess because he's saying that he's the murderer. Yeah. But then he says, Look at Caesar's face. He hates women. I don't know how you see that in a person's face. But I mean, <laughs> all right. This was my favorite part. No, it's yeah. great. It is great. Caesar then lightly lunges at Marco, grabbing his shirt, but is easily pulled away. Marco saying that Caesar did it because he couldn't be with any of the women. Then he punches below the belt and says that Caesar's wife left him for the same reason. God damn. Yeah. <laughs> she left him because he couldn't get any other models? <laughs> what the fuck? That's, he's like, they don't want it. That's it. Yeah. I'm I, ashamed. I thought that that was it, but I learned that he's impotent. Oh. And okay. that's what he's saying. It's not that he couldn't be with any of the yeah. models. It's that he couldn't be with any of the models. Oh. Marco. And I was like, that's damn. literally below the belt. Yeah. <laughs> that's fucking mean. Yeah. And... The funny thing is that this was cut from the U.S. release. Really? Yeah. I guess they're like, we don't need to be talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's too much. But Marco suddenly realizes that he hasn't taken his pills in forever and just falls to the ground having a seizure. I mean, the whole scene was very graceful. Yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> from, from start to finish. <laughs> I will say I feel bad because the whole time I was like, he's just doing drugs. I thought he was like everyone else. Well, yeah, I mean, everybody else does seem to, what yeah. did he say, the habit? Yeah. I mean, everybody else really is on that shit. So it was really a safe assumption but that Marco was dabbling a little bit as well, but this right. is a medical necessity. Yeah. He's like, okay, so take two every 12 yeah. hours. Like, that's what he's doing. <laughs> but Sylvester tells his men to take Marco to the hospital, and so they carry him out. They really just seem annoyed with the fact that he's having a seizure. Yeah. They do. He asks Caesar and Moreland if they knew that Marco was epileptic, but they didn't. Sylvester tells Clarice that she's free to leave, but he tells the two men that they'll have to stay because he'll soon have warrants for their arrest. 
Moreland asks why, and Sylvester says that it's because the killer obviously used Peggy's car on other occasions, which is how he knew where the burglar alarm was hidden. I'm that is a uh, real flimsy. It yeah. is because I think most cars there's, at that time had the. There's kind of limited space yeah. where it could be. I remember a button in my first car that had the alarm in the fucking thing. I just, it's, uh, I, you're really reaching here. Like, if I was a lawyer, I would not stand for this. No, I... Where are all of their attorneys? Oh, that doesn't happen here. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't attorneys. No. Yeah, no, this is 1964. Yeah, they, they weren't invented yet. Keep yeah. your mouth shut. Even if you didn't do it, keep your mouth shut and wait for your attorney, mm-hmm. period. This made me laugh because as soon as he's, like, all about Moreland and Caesar, mm. Frank and Morel are like, so we <laughs> can leave, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> But Sylvester says that they can't leave either. And this is when Frank tries to use their alibi again. Yeah. And Sylvester kind of spells it out for him. They say that they were at Morel's until 11 and Nicole was murdered at 10. This is true. But when Sylvester called Peggy to tell her about her car, it was 1130 and he arrived there 15 minutes later to find her missing and her apartment ransacked. So in that time, someone could have killed her and hidden her body. Yeah. So that alibi isn't worth shit. The murder math was, yeah. was way off. Yeah. And they had no idea. They're like, oh, another person? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we were hanging out till 12. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Always do later. Like, good Lord. I So this is the detective shit that I love about Giallo films because this actually makes sense. Right. Yeah. The other stuff he was doing wasn't so Throw good. Throw them all Yeah. <laughs> But at the fashion house, Christina pensively smokes a cigarette, noting to herself that it's 9 p.m. Greta, Tildy, and a few other women sit around together in the dark, Greta getting up to turn on the light, saying that this whole situation is tense enough. Why were they sitting in the dark? Yeah. Atmosphere. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't know. They were hiding, I thought. Yeah, well, maybe. It felt like, I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe if they think that a killer's on the loose, you want right. people to think it's empty in there. Yeah. Yeah. It was just funny because nobody's, they're all just sitting there and <laughs> one of them's like, turn the This is ridiculous. But Christina tells her to calm down, but Greta says that she can't, asking if the situation even bothers her. Christina admits that she's frightened, but getting hysterical doesn't help. Now, in an incredibly 1960s line, Greta says, if only the men would come back. We're all women left alone. Yeah. I, I'm gagging. I asked your sister. I was like, I don't. I, I mean, like, he was like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, films yeah. sometimes <laughs> don't age well. <laughs> this yeah. line. No, no, there's six of you. Yes. Beat whoever's doing this ass. It's just one. Oh, yes. yeah. You, just fuck them up. Yeah. Death proof that shit. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh-huh. I mean, because I, I don't know about you. Right. I don't want to fight. <laughs> A group of <laughs> not so <anybody>. much <laughs> i would i would run away yeah the- uh regroup and claw claw glove or no we're kicking your ass yeah absolutely oh no yeah but just then the phone rings and christina answers it to find out that it's Morlin. he tells her what's going on and she learns that he's been arrested along with all the other men and fear fills her face for a moment but it almost immediately dissipates as calm returns and she tells Moreland not to worry and gets off the phone. She tells the women the news and that the police obviously think one of the five men is the murderer. The models ask if they can leave now and Christina gives them permission. As they walk out together, Greta says that she envies them because they all live together and can keep each other company. Tildy grabs her things to leave but is stopped by Greta who asks if she'll come over to sleep for the night. 
Tildy says that she lives only a few yards away from the fashion house and doesn't want to go all the way out to the country. Greta's like, oh, well, then can I sleep at your place? But Tildy says that she'd rather be alone. <laughs> this was... <laughs> I know that we gotta side-eye everybody and that there's some relief, maybe, if we are assuming that a man did it, uh-huh. right. that all the men are locked up now, so these women are safe. Right. And I feel like Candace DeLong is really the, uh, <laughs> no, I want to be alone. Like, yeah. it's like, one of y'all, it's exactly. you. And the way that she's acting, I'm like, you're clearly wanting to be alone. Oh, yeah. So you can put on a coat. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But Greta is confused as to why Tildy would want to be alone, especially considering both of her roommates are either dead or missing. Tildy says that she's certain one of the arrested men is the killer, so there's really nothing to worry about. I mean, if if that's truly what you feel, that is logical. It is yeah. true. They kind of make it seem less plausible only because of a very like low angle shot. Yeah. That's like the villainous oh, shot. Yeah, yeah. That's no, like, oh, yeah. like, oh no, like, she she's did going it. to kill everyone. Yeah. <laughs> But Tildy says goodbye to Christina and leaves. Greta refuses to go home, saying that she'll just sleep in the fashion house. But Christina like puts her hands on her shoulder, hands her her things, and she's like, no, you're yeah. going home. <laughs> no, I gotta go home, but, but you gotta get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but Christina says, look at it like this. Isabella and Nicole were mixed up in some ugly business that has nothing to do with any of them. So they have nothing to be afraid of. When I was a kid, that's how I would not be scared of horror movies. Huh. I'd be like, you've never even been to a cabin in the woods. Right. You weren't reading any Latin. <laughs> this has nothing to do with you. I am not related to Michael Myers. <laughs> Girl, you're safe. You're fine, dude. Get some Z's. Come on. <laughs> but Greta thanks her and tells her goodnight before leaving. Outside, Tildy is seen walking around Greta's car before getting into her own and driving away. Again, not great, not great yeah. look, yeah. <laughs> especially for what happens later. Yeah. But Greta then emerges from the fashion house, walking to her car as Christina tells her to be careful from the balcony. With her hands trembling, Greta eventually gets her car started, driving forward, almost hitting a car, then switching it to reverse and backing directly into a tree. Yep. Uh, I thought it was me for a second. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly, though, when she's trying to get in the car, she opens like the back door and then struggles to get the door open. I'm like, she never opened a car door before. And then I'm like, has she never driven a car? Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. She's struggling. But instead of checking out the damage, she just rips out of the parking lot. (laughs) It's like, fuck it. (laughs) This is Morel's problem. (laughs) But now alone... Christina heads back inside from the balcony, but she's immediately startled when she hears movement in the other room and sees a darting shadow cast against the wall. She creeps her way over as the wind rustles behind a curtain, and when she rounds the corner, she finds one of the mannequins has toppled over. She looks around fearfully and locks herself in the office. So... I will admit that this is the only problem I have with this film. Yeah. That's I get it. That's it. Yeah. And I can't talk about it now, but that's it. But Greta arrives home at Castle Franco, and as she pulls in, the butler stops her to tell her that the marquee is phoned in, saying that he won't be home for dinner because he has a prior engagement. Yeah. He classed it right the he fuck really did. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's just a little busy. Yeah, yeah that's no big deal. Yeah. Greta obviously already knows this and says that she's fine to have dinner alone, parking in front of, I guess, an actual castle because this place is fucking brilliant. It was funny to me, too, because he is waiting outside to greet her. 
And then she's like, oh, no, it's cool. And she parks. And then he, like, goes back out into, like, the wilderness. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what See, the fuck is going on? And that was kind of a problem for me because. Is it your job to just be out here? But I didn't, like, when the camera pans over and you see him, like, disappearing in yeah. the dark. Yes. I was like, is the, did the butler do yes. it? Like, I'm thinking he's about to go put on a coat. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But it, it turns into nothing. No. It's just. The butler did not do it. It's just creepy. But Greta gets out of the car to head inside, but stops when she notices the damage done to the trunk. She walks over and sees that the lid is slightly ajar. So she wrenches it up to open it. And when she does, Peggy's body topples out, her face scarred and burned. Why would you put her in the trunk? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Who did it. Somebody else's problem yeah. now. That is true. I the, or my problem. I mean, maybe I. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe I. We don't know who the killer yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that it's quite the predicament. I don't think that she handles it the right way. No, Not even the way that she handles it. I was like, oh, so she's in on it. Yeah. Right. Because See, it makes no fucking yeah. sense. I think that's what you're meant to believe. Okay. Or maybe okay. Could, could she maybe think that dude, mozzarella or whatever. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> could she maybe think Morel that he did her, it and she's, and she's trying, trying to hold to it down? Him. Those are it, it really makes no sense. Those are yeah. I had I had a few theories and that was one of them. But I do want to call out something I heard on commentary which was that they messed up this scene the first time because the trunk was like not spring loaded but it was oh it was made in such a way that if you don't open it all the way yeah. it slammed shut on its oh, own. Oh no. And so whenever they were rehearsing it they told Leah Kruger they're like you got to open it all the way. Oh no. All right and she's like sure. And so she opens it the first time, but not all the way. Uh And Mary Arden does what she's supposed to do. And she tumbles out out. and the trunk smashes her in the face. Oh, no. And it fucked up her nose. She had a scar for the rest of her life. And it almost got her right in the eyeball. Oh, my God. And so she's obviously inconsolable. Yeah. And they said that Mario Bava cradled her as she cried and he put ice on her face and was just apologizing profusely. (sighs) He's like, I'm never going to financially recover. (laughs) (laughs) That is terrible. Isn't that crazy? She, dude, she did her own stunts on in the apartment. She's fucking taking a trunk to the face. Like, she (laughs) was a trooper. But Greta rushes inside to call the police, but the phone is already ringing when she goes inside. She does leave the door wide open, though, which isn't smart. No. But when she answers the phone, nobody's on the other end, so she hangs up. She then rips off her jacket and runs back outside, where she sees the butler returning from his quarters with her dinner. She pulls Peggy's body out of the car and drags her inside the house and takes her into the dining room, hiding her under the stairs and covering it with a couple of dressing screens. Not even well. No. No. We were not, it's not covered well. Her entire head sticking out. Yes. Which is probably the most important part. I was going to hide any piece, it would be that. It would be the head. I will say though, that again, I was like, is she doing this because she's the killer? Yeah. Because she's trying to protect Morel? Or because she thinks that if the butler sees the body, he'll think she's the killer. But, you know, if I I would be screaming and think that somebody planted a body in my trunk. That too. I'm just, I feel like she's just like, okay, clean it up. It's just so weird. Oh, no, yeah. My, the whole time I was like, why are you touching her? Yeah, Why that? Stop. Well, the police, they're not going to find anything. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's be real. (laughs) 
There was like one really great moment that I do want to call out because she pulls Peggy's body up some stairs and she drops her, but Peggy stays completely solid. Yeah. yeah. Like the rigor mortis. No, yeah, yeah that is, is good. Yeah. It creeps me out every single time. But after Peggy's body is quote hidden, unquote, <laughs> Greta allows the butler to bring her some tea, but turns away from him when she realizes that there's blood on her blouse. After he leaves, Greta runs upstairs to her bedroom to get changed and hides her bloody clothes under the blankets. Now your bed's all dirty. Well, I mean, that's yeah. better than being caught, I would Hide say. It under the bed. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Not in the <laughs> Well, that's more outside of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> but she's just in what, like her nightie? Yeah. And she then grab some sort of night cream i'm like are you just going through yeah. <laughs> your routines skincare is a very right. I, I guess so <laughs> but she's suddenly interrupted by a loud plucking of a harp downstairs the camera moves from the harp the strings still vibrating slowly creeping over to peggy's body hidden behind those screens we then watch as it's dragged away I really liked the shot of it being dragged away. Chef's of her kiss. being dragged away. It was very creepy. I love the traveling from mm-hmm. yeah. all the way. That was just a great sequence. But Greta steps out, making her way downstairs, startled when she doesn't see anyone by the harp. She goes to look behind the dressing screens, but is shocked to find Peggy's body standing upright. It falls on top of her, revealing the masked killer standing behind her. That was a mean little joke. Yeah. And who did yeah. you do that for? It's, I mean, <laughs> Michael Myers wore a, a sheet. <laughs> time. It's just, it's cruel. We, we like, you know, we got to break it up with the little lighthearted. Yeah. yeah, in all fairness. And what I love about this killer is that he is never boring. Like, this is true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I gotcha. I, you thought she was a zombie, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But on the ground, Greta tries to find the air to scream, but is quickly snuffed out by the killer who grabs a sofa cushion and smothers her. Again, this is why, because I feel like after Peggy, uh-huh. the next death was going to be ramped way the fuck up. Right. The fact that he just, I know, just smothered her, but you know what I mean. Right. It really was personal with yeah. Peggy. Yeah, well. Like, it, I just can't get over how much more cruel her death was than anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I I think it has to do with the extra trip he had to make. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. Well, one, he's not doing it right. And then two, uh, she's barely uh, fighting. Wait, how many people have you? Well, no, I'm just saying, you know. It, so in theory. In, in theory, theory. Hypothetically. Right. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. there you go. But I, she barely put up a fight. Well, she's shocked. She was she scared. She just saw the walking dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but sometime later, Sylvester and Zankin discover Greta and Peggy's bodies posed together in a chair. The, the shot from the table to the actual bodies in the, the reflection yeah. made me think of us. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. So, I mean, seeing the things, film, not us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that time, JP smothered those people. <laughs> and we helped him set him up. I meant Jordan Peele's right. us. <laughs> <laughs> but Zankin comments on Peggy's burns, saying that the killer tortured her and must be a madman. Sylvester says that it's either that or he's a sex maniac and a homicidal fury against beautiful women. 
it's a little bit of a reach. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, I the cocaine, okay, insult <laughs> them, sex maniacs. Come on, like everybody, uh, calm down, <laughs> guy. <Yeah. laughs> you, you throw around the term sex yeah, maniac it's like a, it's a <laughs> it's a pejorative. Yeah, yeah, come on, man, stop that. Sixties were a weird time. <laughs> But positing that the sight of beautiful women might make the killer lose control and kill, he says that they'll have to start all over with their investigation. You do? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess so. Like, now we have to actually start fingerprinting yeah. shit. Yeah. Can you believe this? <laughs> God damn it. But in the daylight, an inspector tells the two men that the footprints they found match the ones that they found outside of Moreland's villa. Sylvester realizes that he has to let the five men in custody go, admitting that this time they have a foolproof alibi and he gave it to them. I laughed out loud because yeah. the other guy was like, does this mean we have to let them go? It's like, dude, no, we just yeah. arrest all the women now. <laughs> I'm like, yes, you have to let them go. It's like, we can't just should, hold them in. They should be in there in the first place. Definitely. Yeah, they really, there really is no. <laughs> at all. The only thing holding them there is that they've been in a car. Yeah. <laughs> yes, at one at point. At one point during the lifetime of this woman. <laughs> it's, it's absurd. <laughs> But I think this is the last time we see Sylvester and Zankin. <laughs> <laughs> but at the police station, the men are returned their belongings. As Morel checks his, the policeman dumps out Morland's in front of him. The camera zooms in on the Fleur de Lis notebook that we know belonged to the killer. So much for subtlety. Yeah. Because it's like, da da Personally, I appreciated this because there's still some time left in the movie and they're like, no, it's not going to be yeah, a fucking yeah. end of the movie reveal. Right, right. Moreland did it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, at, when I saw it, I was like, why, Moreland? Why? Yeah. yeah. We'll find out. But Moreland looks around before placing the notebook into his jacket pocket and collecting the rest of his things. The men then return to the fashion house where inside someone watches from the window. That's when I was like, two killers? Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> fucking cool. And this is 32 years before Scream did it. Yeah. And Scream, Scream blew everyone's tits off with the yeah. two killer with the reveal. Two, yeah. Because it's not common, or at least, I mean, I didn't think it was. Right. No. And then to see it happen so early early mm -hmm. in the genre right that's fucking cool that is pretty great and i mean it also makes the logical sense because there would have to be knowing with what we know right right i love it i can't i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> but later tildy stalks around inside the fashion house putting her ear to the office door before knocking on it morlin invites her inside and she states the obvious though she's normally a calm person the idea of a sex maniac prowling around the fashion house is, I mean, she doesn't like it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I love how quickly sex maniacs spread, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, we just came to that conclusion last night. I believe the term I heard was sex maniac. Yeah. <laughs> but she asked to take a short holiday, saying that she's already booked a flight to Paris. So it's like, I'm not asking. I'm yeah. going. <laughs> Morlin agrees, but then asks, is she still living with the Countess? He remembers going there a long time ago when the Count was still alive and says that you can see all of Rome from the balcony. 
Hildy says that she'd much rather see the rooftops of Paris right now, which Moreland understands and tells her to have a nice time. Same girl. But what <laughs> the fuck did that have to do with anything? To me, like it, it's one of my favorite things that movies and shows do. Yeah. Where the fucking person you know is now guilty. Yeah. yeah. So now Say everything. They, shit. <laughs> <laughs> they did it on Dexter with the ice truck killer. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. When you find out that he's the killer, he's just weird from, yeah. there. <laughs> from there forward. I love it. It's so cheesy, though, but I don't know why I enjoy it. But. Moreland then locks the door behind her before pushing on his bookcase to open up a secret passage. That bookcase was clearly a secret yeah, passage. No, None of those sure. books were real. No. They weren't. <laughs> like, that was bad. But I guess nobody reads here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's never come up. But he walks down a set of stairs and into the cobweb-filled room where Peggy was tortured earlier. Inside the room, he opens up a chest and then starts poking around the furnace. A familiar voice is then heard around the corner. I burnt Peggy's clothes. There's nothing left to show that she was here. It's Christina. (gasps) She's Moreland's accomplice. See, okay, so I will say that I wasn't expecting this. No. And I do like that. I was like, okay, you got me. Yeah. You know, I didn't expect that. So that I will give it points for that. I especially liked that it's a woman. Yeah. Yes. And again, in 64? Yeah. So you got two killers and one of them's a woman. Yeah. That's fucking cool. But she says after she did that, she had to get her out of here and also murder Greta to give him an alibi. He goes, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just regular shit. She says, perfectly awful. But she doesn't even know how she did it, admitting that she nearly fainted just finding Isabella's corpse in the wardrobe. Morlin asks how she was able to get Peggy to Castle Franco, and she says that she put her in the back of Greta's car, and she did the rest, really. And then she says she targeted Greta because she was all alone out there. The butler's like, hey, I was also. Yeah. Who do you think I brought was, the fucking tea? I was tea? waiting on the trees. What are you talking about? <laughs> All creepy for no reason. But Moreland tells her, well done, and says that the police think it's all the work of a sex maniac. Uh, yeah. I mean, that spread really <laughs> yeah. fast. But later, the two kiss in bed, but there's clearly something wrong with Moreland. I will say, I do love the shot that begins this scene which is like a renaissance painting on the ceiling yeah, and a smoke ring blown. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's fantastic. But Moreland, who clearly looks upset, just mutters, what a mess. He says it's all because of that idiot, that witch Isabella with her blackmail, the money she wanted. Christina says when Isabella found out that her husband's death wasn't an accident, she should have realized it was foolish to ask for all that money, but no. The more they'd give her, the more she'd want, so she had to die. I think that's what people don't understand about blackmail. Uh-huh. If you're going to blackmail someone to ruin their life, yeah. they have nothing to lose. Yeah, no shit. What's, <laughs> like, what's killing you? Yeah, that's a... Uh... Don't do not do that. It's I would advise against it. Yes, another Podmortem PSA. <laughs> <laughs> don't blackmail. But Moreland says that she squeezed too hard, and that's why she had to die. Christina pours herself a drink and says if it hadn't have been for that damn diary. But she squeals and tells Moreland that they have nothing to worry about now. Moreland disagrees, though, saying that they'll never have peace until they give the police a murderer. He says they got to find them their sex maniac, because even though there's no evidence against them right now, all of the victims worked for them. This is true. Yeah. Um. I love Moreland's ascot <laughs> and uh, with the open shirt. I mean, it's a look. Um, it, it in, my, awesome. <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, 
so Marco, right? Like yeah. we're all gonna we're all gonna frame yeah, we're Marco. Gonna pin right? it on Marco. <laughs> well, he's clearly guilty. <laughs> he, he, he did nothing. Unless, but. <laughs> unless he was in the hospital the whole night. Oh, that's true. We don't know. Do we ever see Marco again? We do not. I'm no. upset. Yeah. <laughs> Marco was carried away. It was that but, was the end of yeah, it. Yeah, that was it. But I just feel like if we're going for. Who would fit the bill the best? I would say so. I mean, be either him or Frank. Frank was pretty fucking suspicious yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. I also wanted to point out when she's still laying in the bed, when she's laughing and he slaps her in the face. Yeah, that's a little strange. <laughs> but it was like, I don't know if it was supposed to be like a play slap or what. I didn't care for it. No. <laughs> I will um, say no. that. I don't. And it. I don't. The sound design made it appear yeah. way worse than, yeah. and it gets worse. Oh, it but. does. There's one that is so egregious. Yeah. No. I'm not. It's unbelievable. These that happen here in uh-huh. this little part of the movie, it's too much. It's like what the I, fuck yeah, is oh, going no, on? Yeah, I, I was is this Three Stooges. What the fuck am I? I was like, it's what's not happening like here? it's not like he's snapping her out of anything. No. no. But. <laughs> But he says that as things sit now, it's all been blown sky high. The press, the scandal, the fashion house being closed down. They have to find a way out. Christina is clearly drunk. Yes. But she sarcastically says that they'll just fly to the moon. Moreland's plan is a bit more down to earth. Christina. <laughs> that was good. Thank you very much. <laughs> Christina has to commit one more murder. She sobers up completely, telling him that she can't. He says that he can't because he's still being shadowed, so it has to be her, but they'll find her an alibi. He says she's done it before, but she says that that was different. He was in danger, and her love for him gave her the strength to do it. She's then overcome with emotion at the thought of it. She falls to the bed, but (laughs) for some reason now, the timing of this is insane. It's fucking believable she falls to the bed and like mid like in zero gravity <laughs> he, <laughs> he slaps her across the face yeah. and then cradles her as she cries yeah like, and then he's like there there you little idiot yeah. I was like, what, I was like, what the, the fuck, fuck is, is this going shit? on i was very confused this that is the man you're here. killing for no yeah. yeah yeah he tells her to listen to him calling her an idiot <laughs> saying that there's more danger now than ever before If she doesn't do it, then everything is useless. We immediately cut to an underwater shot of Tildy being drowned in her bathtub. Her eyes wide with fright, the masked killer in full garb ends her life, and we see her slip away underwater, her eyes still open. Why Tildy? Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Tildy is then dumped in the tub, the water overflowing around her as her robe is removed and she stares lifelessly at the ceiling. I love how we were just positing why he couldn't frame anybody else. Yeah. The reason he can't is because they were all in jail yeah, with him. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just <laughs> clicked my head. I was like, oh shit, that's... <laughs> it, it can't be any of them. Yeah, they're all innocent or whatever. But Tildy sinks underwater as a very sweaty Christina takes off the mask and retrieves a straight razor from her pocket, opening it with her gloved hands. She very reluctantly cuts Tildy's wrist, and in an amazing shot, Tildy stares at her through the water as its clarity is slowly imbrued with blood. Absolute chef's kiss at that shot. Yeah, it probably, for me, as morbid as it is, was the the best shot of the film, I think. It sticks with you. Yeah, it's like sad as fuck, too. And it is. Why? And, well, what she's doing, and it's so fucked up because Tildy couldn't be more innocent. Yeah. Yeah. And now 
she's killed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's fucking horrible. It's not fair. But outside, a gloved hand reaches out to sabotage a drain pipe with a wire cutter. Afterwards, we see a hand ringing the doorbell and loudly banging on the door. Fearing she'll be caught in the middle of her frame job, Christina frantically takes off her killing clothes and takes the only way out that she can, the balcony. So, okay, that was my question because I was like, why are you fucking taking your disguise off at the crime scene? Was this supposed to look like it was tildy's that's the point yeah oh okay i thought that too i was like why are you like i i thought she was just like she was sad she was like i can't keep fucking doing this yeah that's what it looked like at first and then i was like oh this is a frame job yeah Yeah. like she took off her costume and then immediately got in the bath and killed herself yeah and you see because you see she was drowned and then post yeah so it's like i'm mad about it like why they had no one else Sure you do. <laughs> so Tildy turns out she's a sex maniac. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, apparently. But as the hand continues to strike the door, the camera pans around and we see that it's Morlin. Once again, why Morlin? Why? Yes. <laughs> this dude is the fucking scum of the <laughs> earth. Yes, dude. And it only gets worse. Oh my God. Now very high up on the balcony, Christina steps off of it and inches her way across a narrow ledge on the building. As she solid snakes across, she reaches <laughs> <laughs> for the drain pipe to steady herself, only for it to fully detach. She screams, falling from a great height. That was fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a little slapstick. It was but... pretty campy. See, and this is what I'm talking about with the production design of not having a lot of money. Yeah. They did what they could to make this appear to be a high yeah. building. Yeah. And it works no, yeah. it... for the tone of the film. <laughs> but Moreland hears this scream and obviously thinks that his job is done. He makes his exit back to the fashion house. Purple light fills the windows as we get a very long shot of the fountain. But seemingly in POV shots, the camera creeps past several dress forms and mannequins and into Christina's office where Morlin is breaking into her desk. He finds papers and a small gun, but then cracks open a box full of jewels and smiles as he smokes a cigarette. Really, man? That's crazy. (laughs) No, I'm a pawn this bitch's shit. For real? She loved you, dude. I fucking get this dude. He just keeps, he does not disappoint. No. Uh, He does not disappoint in disappointing. Fair, fair, fair. Good Lord. But a creaking noise disrupts his joy and he makes his way into the hall. Through the dark, he stands bathed in purple light next to a dress form. I We got to do something about all these dress forms. Yes. Like, there's no way I could live anywhere. Absolutely not. Or work anywhere. I think everything is uh, a person or a ghost. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> there's no fucking I way. I hang my cardigan wrong and I'm like. Oh, fuck. yeah. Nope. Nope. So fuck that. And we all have that chair that's a monster. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But hearing another noise, he knocks the dress form over as he runs back to Christina's office and finds her jewelry missing from its box as well as the gun. The secret passage bookcase creaks open and out steps an incredibly injured but very much alive Christina. She's like, if you can hold yeah. your <laughs> The camera spins around Morlin and Christina clutches her jewels, asking if he's surprised to see her alive. It's like, surprise, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she tells him that his plan was ingenious, but thankfully, the shop awning broke her fall. He tries to plead with her, but she knows what he did. How 
dare you? Yeah. He's like, baby, baby, baby. Yeah, yeah. no, this is all like, <laughs> yeah, no, what no, are no. you talking about? The real fucked up part is that he told her to pass on the ledge if there was any trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it, he's like, he set all of it up. By the way, there's a very secure drain pipe. Yeah. Yeah. You. It'll hold Santa. your entire weight. You're It'll fine. support you. I promise. But tears stream down her face as he tells her that she has to listen to him. She says that if the police found her body, his plan would have worked and he would have been free. She says now she understands why they had to go get married in secret and in such a hurry. He was in love all right. In love with her house, her apartment, the fashion house, her money, everything she had. So they would have been, in their estimation, Mm -hmm. scot-free after murdering Tildy. Yeah. Right. So this was just, I don't want to share. Yes. Like, I'm... It was just selfishness. And it's even... And this is all her shit. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. It's even sadder because she lists all that stuff. She says, everything I had. And then she realizes and says, everything but me. And I'm like, this is really fucking sad. It's sad, but also you were killing people too. Well, and she also killed her husband. Yeah. (laughs) So let's not have too much sympathy. (laughs) On the sympathy a little bit. But she's upset. But that was me. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a tear and I'm on her side. (laughs) But Moreland tells her that she's wrong and that he does love her. He says he knows it's been a terrible shock, but he promises that they'll go away together soon. Just the two of them like they always planned. He walks over to her and they share a kiss and an embrace. But Christina's eyes open with certainty and resolve. They close again and we hear two gunshots fired in succession. Moreland pulls away from her slowly and falls to the floor dead. Good for her. It's, this is a good for her film, yeah. isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Well, well, no. Let's not. No, it's not. But Christina, still feeling the fall that she took, stumbles over to the phone and calls the police, asking for Inspector Sylvester. Overcome with emotion, pain, and exhaustion, she drops the phone and collapses onto Moreland's body. She cradles his body as she succumbs to her injuries, the camera pressing in on the red phone swinging on its cord, much like the sign at the beginning of the film. Oh, good. That's true. Yeah. I like that little callback. But among an array of colorful light, the credits roll. So, what did you guys think of Blood and Black Lace? Uh, this this was a ride. Yeah. The, the movie, it's not a bad movie, um, some of the dubbing for me was a little, eh, you I know what that. I mean? Yeah. But, um, that this movie was crazy. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of slapping. <laughs> <laughs> One might say too much yeah, slapping. A little too much. Um, but I did enjoy it. It was good. I found myself laughing a lot more than I probably <laughs> should have. Um, but that's still, that's fine. You right. know what I mean? Uh, like I said, it did fool me. And at the end, I was like, okay. I was like, all right. Because I I did not suspect that at all. No. Like, at all. But, yeah, this this was was a good watch. And I did enjoy it. I will say, I'm not going to lie, Suspiria uh, was a little more for me. Uh-huh. I did enjoy Suspiria a little more. But this movie, is, is it's not bad. No. And I will admit, I think I do like Suspiria more as well. Mm-hmm. I just... I. Suspiria has a special place in my heart for a different reason. And this right. is, a, you know, it's like, a, yeah, my, I got a big heart. Yeah. Right. <laughs> There's room. There's room. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought that this was really good. I, like I said at the top, I was surprised by 
the campiness. Oh yeah. And the yeah. fact that I did laugh and at several places <laughs> that probably were not meant for me to laugh yeah. at. But I enjoyed them, specifically Marco. That oh was my, God. <laughs> my absolute favorite character. <laughs> um, like I had said before, I I appreciate the twist of them of there being two, and mm-hmm. especially the fact that one of them was a woman, uh-huh. because they were just immediately counted out. Yes, and for the time, I feel like that is pretty fucking cool. Because women need representation, even the bad parts of right. us should be represented. So I I appreciated that. And it kind of has like a commentary of like, don't underestimate. For sure. You yeah. know? Well, she was doing it for love. Yeah, that's yeah. She was doing it for greed. Oh, yeah. Even though she was doing it, I mean, it was still bad. It's, she yeah. was but, still I mean, doing it. But yeah. it is a more noble reason than I want those jewels. Right. Th- this is true. I mean, she's a piece of shit too, but nobody's as big a piece of shit as no, dude. Yeah. yeah, Moreland sucks. Yeah, but um, I did enjoy it. I had a lot of fun watching it. There were a couple moments that I did have to pause because I was laughing. <laughs> but uh, this was a lot of fun. And really, it is very sad because at the end of the day, everything was for nothing. Yeah, It was yeah. all for nothing. And I mean, I'm kind of a sucker for a bleak ending sometimes. Sometimes if I really, really love a character, I do... I am upset. Uh-huh. I, I get that. But for the most part, when shit like this goes down, it very rarely is. And then they ran away to Paris and yeah. they happily ever. It's like, no, they're, yeah. you know, Fargo. You know what I mean? Exactly. All for what? What was this for? A little bit of money. Exactly. And I mean, if you think about it, they did go away together. Ah, oh, they yeah. did. Wow. Poetic justice. Yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> uh, I love this movie. Yeah. Like it is one of my favorite films probably ever. And I think I love it not just as a film, but kind of as almost a turning point in the horror genre. Yeah. Because not only does it open up this giallo subgenre in Italy and make amazing films that kind of this is the prototype, you know? It is interesting that you say that because it's almost like having a really, really good friend and then meeting their grandparents. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, like, see, I totally yeah, get I it. I can see this. And when you think about slasher films, I mean, you hear about Black Christmas being a proto-slasher. Right. This is 10 years before Black Christmas. Yeah. You know, you hear about, obviously, Psycho with what it did, mm-hmm. Peeping Tom as well. This is just four years after that. Yeah. And so, I mean, just as a part of, I guess, like film history. Right. Like this, I don't think this film gets talked about enough. I had never heard of it until yeah. you. And then you bought it for me. I did. <laughs> <laughs> But I just think it's like a a piece of art, really. And it's visually delicious. I don't know how else to to describe that. But just watching it for me, I mean, it's definitely an experience. I understand what you guys are saying when you're like, it's a ride. Yeah, It is. It really is a ride. But I guess that can lead us into ratings. Um, On the positive side, everything. (laughs) (laughs) On the negative side, nothing. Yeah. I really think that, I mean, the feel of it, you get this amazing atmosphere from Bava's direction, his artistry, uh, the set design, the costumes, Mm -hmm. like everything just feels so cool. Yeah. The way the killer looks. Right. I mean, that is just so badass. I, and it's so simple. I think that's the other thing. The fact that it was made for so cheap and looks this good. Yeah. That's nuts. Um, obviously the lighting and the cinematography, 
the good thing about the cinematography to me is that Bava coming from that background, mm-hmm. you see the care and attention he's putting yeah. into these shots. Yeah. He's uncredited as well as the cinematographer Bava is because he pretty much did all the cinematography. He lit every shot. He yeah. framed every well, shot. shot. And so it's really his vision on film. Yeah. And so that's just remarkable. It only makes me want to watch more of his films. Mm-hmm. I've only seen like six of them. Yeah. But I love everything that I've seen. Yeah. And I think for me, oh, also, I love the music. I want to say that. <laughs> I think the music is fantastic. The dialed up performances, the death sequences. Right. The mystery element. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, the whole thing, though, is that the way that it lays the groundwork for the Giallo subgenre all of these elements that are here that you see pop up in all these other films, it started here. Yeah. That's just amazing. Right. On the negative side, the only thing that I can really think of is maybe there are some moments in the script that I might tweak a little. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did not like um, Christina. Yeah, because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, she was afraid that night for why. Yeah. it's me and him he's locked up and i'm right here yeah (laughs) (laughs) there's no reason to be afraid i don't know because she well maybe she's like well fuck maybe i am being haunted (laughs) with the mannequin falling over and shit but um outside of that i i can't any fucking negative thing i could say about it overshadowed yeah Yeah. completely out the window and of course it holds a special place in my heart because it introduced me to a subgenre of films that i didn't even no, right. you know, really existed. So for me, out of 10 scandalous secrets, I am going to give Blood and Black Lace 10 scandalous secrets out of 10. What? Big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I will now open the floor to you. I did enjoy this movie. It. Uh, I know we said uh, over the top. Yeah. That some of it for me was a little telenovela it was kind of yeah. a okay. little bit yeah so you know like soap opera yeah so it was kind of like damn you know what <laughs> i mean not that it hurt it a lot for me but some of it was a little kind of overdone and i'm like man you, calm down a little bit um <laughs> but i it this is a from beginning to end and and like i said me still being like i didn't know who the killer was yeah I was like, hell yeah. I was like, okay, you got me. You know what I mean? I was like, I did not expect that whatsoever. It's fun to be shocked. Yeah. Oh, yes, no, it yeah. Is. Um, the the killer, like you said, looked very cool. Mm-hmm. That was very cool. I, I can't say that it's something that I would probably have watched on my own if uh-huh. you wouldn't have told me, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind watching other Giallo films to kind of see where they go after this. You know what I mean? Because I, yeah. I know you said they get a little more graphic. And they do. A little, so I I uh, would kind of like to see, also interested in seeing other Giallo films and kind of seeing where it is. Um, you're saying this one is tamed? This one, it's... it's I would say so, compared to some of the others right. I've seen. Um but yeah, if you've never seen it, I'd recommend watching it, even if it's just the one time, you know what I mean? Uh, see what it's about, kind of check it out. Maybe you like it. Uh, and if you don't, cool too, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But uh, 
the one I did enjoy a lot of it. The one thing I will say is that there was a lot of those mannequins, the red ones, uh-huh. and I wish one of them would have came to life uh, <laughs> or moved even or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. They uh, do look creepy no, as yeah, hell. They like, do. They are begging to be oh, animated. Yeah. <laughs> something. And they're always hovering around. Yes. They're just there. They're there from beginning to the end of the movie. So it's like, please, one of them do something. Um, Someone wear you as a costume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So on a scale from one to ten, scandalous secrets, I'm going to give Blood and Black Lace a seven out of ten. Wow. Uh, Like I said, I can see where you're saying like uh, a lot of influences came from this movie. Right. Or, you know, and it's even though some scenes are over the top, you said, you know, like you said, it's campy. I'm never going to try to knock a camp. You know <laughs> what I mean? Sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, right there in line with B horror movies. You know what yeah. I mean? So I can't be like, oh, she was cheesy. Cause, but then. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, it but is. But it is. But yeah, in okay. a good way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I feel like the biggest uh, negative for me is really not understanding some of the characters intentions Uh even after it shakes out who the killers like specifically greta (laughs) like that really frustrated me a lot also the whole i know it's just a throwaway line but the you know we're just women or whatever stop (laughs) um but i do i love the camp i do want to give extra points for the camp for really just how over the top everybody was for my surrogate Renfield because I'm I've been chasing that high since Dracula uh-huh. um, <laughs> uh, for the killer being a woman for there being two of them yeah for you looking back and being like except for the little scene where she's scared and has yeah. no reason to be it makes sense okay this one was her this one was him like it it tracks once you know. Right. Um, and also, I really love The Watchmen. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I got to give it up to Blood and Black Lace yeah. for that. But um, with all of that, on a scale from one to 10, Scandalous Secrets, I'm going to give Blood and Black Lace a. Because when it hits for me, and I don't have the same love that you have for it, T. Right. But it really, I am a lover of camp. And this really, <laughs> really delivered on that for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, it may be generously, but I'm going to give Blood and Black Lace 8 out of 10 scandalous secrets. Wow. Because it re- I really love that. And it, it in spades. Yeah. Deli- it really felt like watching a play. Right. And at times it is very overacted. But yeah, I yeah. like shit like that when it's done <laughs> in the right. If you put Marco in a Scorsese film, <laughs> I hate him. Yeah. If you, you know what I mean? It's this, not going to work. It fits so perfectly, just like right. with Dracula, where it's like that guy is on a 12 yeah. for no good reason, but I'm loving every second of yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I appreciated it. And I don't know if I ever would have watched it on my own either. Yeah. So I'm glad that you brought this to the table for us mm-hmm. because well, it, it was a good time. Thank you. I'm glad. Thank you for indulging me. Uh, I do think for me it was important to start because we've never done a Giallo film before. No. So I wanted to start with my favorite one. Yeah. But would you be interested in watching more Giallo? Yeah, I would. It kind of yeah. opened up a... I'm here for it. And I'm a little surprised to hear John Paul say that he's down too. I'm very glad. Yeah. Well, you say they get a little more brutal as they go. So yeah, there's quite a few. He's like, it gets gets crazier. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's all from us at Pod Mortem. What would you rate Blood and Black Lace and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Pod Mortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, though at times it might seem easier to tell a lie, honesty is something that will never go out of fashion. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned. We want to give a very special shout out to all of our Wendigo Getter patrons. Hey, Ooh, yeah. Woo, coming, I got out. We'll have none of that. <laughs> special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Guy54, Lala Thomas, Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Mandy, Jennifer Perez, Pierre Lombard, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Andy Teague, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Linda, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Jonathan Booth, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rizak, Molly Gerhardt, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggie, William Barry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Eden, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Jordan Blevins, Michelle Moore, Liz Heath, Spencer Montalvo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Amanda Aliff, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Nicholas Carter, Mariah, Livy Fun, Mandy M, Scott Troutman, Towton Watson, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, and Craig Kowalski. Thank you all so much. Yes. Yes. We appreciate all of you truly, and I just want to say that we all love you. Nah. With all our hearts. Well, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time.